Morning, thank you to Rupert. To be back with you uh, very, very shortly, bringing the latest updates. Great news, isn't it, about the cancelling of the Westminster parking? I mean, more stupid idea you'd be hard pushed to find in the uh, in the English speaking world. We always said it wouldn't work. We always said at the time that for the people of London and the people who work, it's people at this time, this time of the morning, who would have to be paying to park. You know, you don't want to hang around and go back on a on a train or a bus or something, do you? You want to actually better get in the car. And when you get in the car, to actually go somewhere. But uh, they were going to deprive you of that. Luckily, the bloke who thought up that harebrained scheme is gone. Although, I mean, I think that was a little bit draconian. <laughs> I just thought they should have scrapped it. I'm surprised it even actually managed to get as far as it did. It was deeply unpopular with everybody. With restaurateurs, with nightclub owners, with people who have to come into the West End to work. You know, just day-to-day restaurant staff. You know, the people who are scraping a living at the moment. Quite clearly, Westminster Council, who must be milking it at the moment... You know, painting over the single, making double yellow lines, doing all the rest of this stuff. And you think, how much more money do they need? And the answer is, they're just greedy. They're just very greedy. They want to take from you and they want to rob you blind and give you back nothing. Nothing. You get nothing from Westminster Council. Unless, of course, you live within Westminster Council. In which case, years ago, you got um, zero tax. So people living in flat didn't have to pay a penny piece. They made so much money. Out of parking, you know, they've got the rudest traffic wardens, but then generally speaking, traffic wardens are rude people. They can't help it. They've got a they've got a rough job to do and they have to go out there and they've got to do it. I'd love it. I'd love it. Um we only parked here for a minute, mate. Sorry about that. Just write out this ticket for you. <laughs> There's another one as well. I think we'll find it. Oh, it looks like a bald tie. I'll make a note of that as well. I mean it's just great, you, you it's power, power mad traffic wardens, but but a good job to have at the same time. Pays you money, and you get exercise. All you've got to do is walk around. Round our way, we have a couple of traffic wardens. One's on a bicycle. He's evil. He's really evil. Not not quite as evil as, uh, as some of the, the road sweepers we've got, who've managed to work out just how lazy you can be when you work for Richmond and Twickenham Council. It's not tough. You just sort of just push your little trolley along, and uh, and then you just sort of sit down, and then have a toilet break. There must have about ten toilet breaks a day. I've never known people with such weak bladders. I'm diabetic. I've got a less weak bladder than some of these uh, cleaners around our way have. Uh, Denise, um, uh, Denise Welsh, I'm afraid, terrified she'd upset her family. She went topless. She's just a sad old drunk, ladies and gentlemen. She's not to be applauded, not to be uh, laughed at, not to be scorned, not to be pointed at. She's just a sad drunk. She needs help. And the sooner she goes into rehab, because unfortunately she can't function without the alcohol. And when she does, she becomes just... Life's embarrassment. I don't, I don't really know what else I can say about her. The pictures in the paper today are of just um, a woman going topless. And she flashed uh, for a treat for Frankie Kokoza's 19th birthday. He's a cokehead. He doesn't need a treat. A treat for him would be two wraps, thank you very much indeed, in the car park. There's no treat being shown your boobs. Why on earth he'd want to, you know, be hanging around some sad old drunk like her? Because if you notice in the Big Brother house, they all spend their time sitting in water together. Ugh! Disgusting. That's all they do. You know, I would be sitting well away from them with a, with a bottle of TCP and Dettol. I wouldn't want to go anywhere near these people. They all look grubby. Frankie Kokoza just looks dirty. Kirk Norcross is just stupid. She wouldn't want to hang around with him anyway. The twins from America are, you know, quite nice but a bit dim. And Denise Welsh is just a, a sad drunk. But that's the state of British television, ladies and gentlemen, for you today. So we'll talk about that on the programme this morning. There's also a few other things. There is the story, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to get a little bit angry about the state of sentencing in this country. Because here he is, Christo mentioned it briefly, and it's Daniel Chapowski. He's 24, he doesn't work, he's one of life's little sponges, and he's a thug. Together with a friend, 
Thomas Lane, they battered senseless Joseph O'Reilly in a Manchester street. No justification for it at all. This tattooed, and I hope when somebody... I couldn't, no, I can't say that, can I? I can't say that. But you do feel, do you not, in your heart of hearts, that if, if this happened to a member of your family and you were looking at Daniel Sapowski, who got a suspended sentence after beating this man senseless, when he came out, somebody would recognise him and maybe, maybe, somebody would take the law into their own hands. I couldn't possibly encourage anything like that. But wouldn't you like to see this thug get a taste of his own medicine? This tattooed thug wearing a cheap tacky suit, but then he's a cheap tacky person. And can somebody explain to me how the victim has to say, this man beat me senseless. He's had to have a metal plate inserted. And this bloke walks free from court with a suspended sentence laughing at the judge. The judge, the biggest prat under the sun, laughing at him. He got a suspended sentence. Whoopee! And the other bloke starts coming on to the photographers in a menacing way, sticking his fingers up. Again, Thomas Lane, job sign writer for that read, sad, lonely little nobody. And the other one, uh, this is job number three, Oliver O'Neill, age 23, job none. Nothing. It's just stupid. It is just... Do you know, I can see people taking the law into their own hands very soon. You know, somebody will come outside of a court and somebody, you know, from the victim's family will go, you know... It's it's just ridiculous. Why should people have to suffer? Why should you have to be worried walking down the street after having a few drinks, whether some thug like this Daniel Sapowski, who looks like he's just won the lottery, you wouldn't believe he's just been given, you know, time off by, by a judge. He's, he's got to be tagged. Oh, big deal. Big deal. It's just joke justice, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely joke justice in this case. Can you imagine if that happened to, to your your mother or your father or your auntie or your brother... What would you be feeling? You'd be feeling really wonderful, would you, about the whole thing? No, you bloody well wouldn't. You'd be out there taking out contracts on this bloke. As far as You'd be finding out where he lives. You'd be finding out everything about him. You really would. You'd be making his life misery. Absolute misery. They're still going on about this, uh, this slapping thing in Corrie. We dealt with this two days ago. Why are the newspapers so slow over it? Two days ago we dealt with this one. There was no problem with it. It was a slap on the leg. She's a nasty little ten-year-old. Uh, frankly, anybody who kills fish is an animal murderer. And deserves to be taken out of Coronation Street immediately. She poured creosote into the pond. I know it's a soap. I know it's only pretend. But frankly, she's a ten-year-old who needs to be taught a lesson. So her stepfather gave her a smack on the back of the legs. And they've said in the paper today, millions were appalled. No, they weren't. About 20 sad, sad, desperately lonely people who had nobody to write to thought they'd, they'd write a letter. Dear, dear Coron... How do you spell Coronation? Coronation Street. I have seen this episode where a young girl had her legs slapped. I shall never watch this programme ever again. Good, well, don't watch it then. Stay at home. Pull the duvet over your head. You know, take some Epsom salts and just stay away from human beings because you're too stupid. Found another stupid woman as well. Lots of them in the papers today. This is Natalie Terry. Natalie Terry is... uh, She abandoned her six-year-old girl for five days and left her with, with packets of Monster Munch crisps. That's all she had. Now, I have to be quite honest, I quite like Monster Munch crisps, but not for six days. And so the mother, when, when she eventually was arrested, she said, I neglected my daughter, end of. So she's quite clearly a bit stupid as well. End of. Who says end of, unless you're particularly thick? She's probably got Ugg boots as well. And Christo was talking about outfits which are inappropriate. Ugg boots have always been inappropriate. Always. Joey Essex, a man of, let's just call it dubious sexuality, because he can't be heterosexual. No man wears romper suits and Ugg boots. It's not normal. I don't care who you are. You know, slight whoopsie, leaning a bit to the left, handbag under the arm, that kind of thing, maybe. 
But to be honest, don't go out there and call yourself straight when you're walking around in a blue romper suit and Ugg boots. You know, men don't wear Ugg boots unless they're slightly leaning to the left of a cloud and they're a little bit, shall we call them, arty or theatrical. Ugg but they're bad enough on women, let alone on blokes. I mean, you know, the worst sight you can ever see walking down the street is some fat, overweight chav with a pink tracksuit on, emblazoned with sort of Katie Price on the back, the, the, the remnants of an old, faded, dirty G-string poking up the top, and cheap Ugg boots that she's bought in the market that are fake and you can spot them a mile off, but she's wearing Coco Chanel glasses or Dolce & Gabbana, and you think, you look like a chav, you walk like a chav, you, it's, I think what it is, it's the woodbine stuck in the side of the face that gives it away, and the pram, the double buggy. You know, that's always the giveaways. You see them walking down the high street, they clog up Starbucks. What a pain. It just drives you mad. You have to negotiate the high street. Excuse me, hello, excuse me, are you buying anything? No, I'm just about to breastfeed as they lop out a size 44, you know, onto the counter, and then sort of immediately some poor kid clamps itself on, which is very nice indeed. Um... What a treat, Steve. The size, the sight of a middle-aged uh, woman's saggy old boobs. I bet everybody was so envious of young Frankie. The trouble is, when, when she's drunk, she does that. She does it. She's done it a few times, although she did it when she was sober once, under the guise of, let me show you how women have their breasts examined. So she did it on Loose Women. She is just a sad exhibitionist, but you've seen the husband, haven't you? Way, eh? He's another one who likes a drink. I shouldn't imagine they've actually spent a night in the same bed for years and years. She never seems to be there. She's always in London. He's apparently off filming, doing things like that. But uh, you do find them the oddest couple. And what an embarrassment to the children. Mum's got her boobs out again. Mum's drunk again. All starts as a joke, doesn't it? It's very funny. But I bet you anything, as people listening at the moment go, my mum started like that. It was all very funny, bit of a laugh in the pub. And then after a while, they become the big embarrassment. The big embarrassment, like Anthony Worrell-Thompson. As Brian Reed says in the papers today... He says Anthony Worrell-Thompson is racing between TV studios at such a pace, the next thing he'll need to pinch from Tesco is a trust support for his hernia, which kind of sums up Anthony Worrell-Thompson. He's, uh, he's, he's doing so to tell us that he's got to the bottom of his shoplifting. It's all to do with being sexually abused as a child, which, says Brian Reed, is very convenient, as when he was interviewed in 2003 about his autobiography, he told The Mirror he was adamant the abuse he suffered had no long-term effect on him. He said, psychiatrists would have a field day. I know, it's a fab excuse, isn't it? I was abused as a child, I go shoplifting. Cobblers, Anthony. Grow up, you stupid little man. Until he got shoplifting, says Brown Reed, and needed a good excuse, and then he came up with this one again. Nobody believes you. But, you know, perhaps if you, if you believe it, that, that's great, but nobody else does. Uh, also today, this yob is on the front of a few of the, uh, the papers. You're going to hate him straight away. I mean, apart from the fact he's wearing a, a very bad... It's not bad for jobless... A badly fitting grey suit. It's great, this. I wish I could be jobless, too. 24 and no useful purpose. And then uh, Countdown was turned into another rude programme the other day. Somebody came up with a rude word on Countdown. I mean, I don't think we need that kind of thing on there. Uh, Mark Murphy spotted the word. I'll just tell you that it's... Um, no, I won't tell you what the word is. I don't need to tell you what it is. But uh, it was, it, he said, I'll have that. And then they went... Because you, you can always cut it out of the programme. Because they're all, they're all recorded. Nothing on Countdown is, is live. They've recorded them ages ago. Oh, and surprise, surprise, Kerry Coctona makes the papers again today. I wonder why. Can't you wait? You'll have to. This is LBC 97.3. Morning, 17 minutes past four. It's such good news about the Westminster parking. I mean, why did they not ask the people of London? Why do Westminster Council not have the intelligence to do a survey... You know, just just come on to LBC and so I tell you what, phone up. What do you reckon? Charges? No charges. How many idiots are going to go, yeah, I'm all in favour of the charge? For what purpose? 
The congestion charge, biggest biggest money spinner for the council, brought in by Ken Livingston, and don't you just want to thank him for it? Every day I see him, I really want to thank him for it, with maybe my hands around his throat. It hasn't solved any congestion at all. It's a congestion charge because you still sit in traffic. You would have thought, would you not, if you drive in London, that you could actually drive through and having paid the congestion charge. You can't go anywhere. They're either digging up the road, they've made it a one-way system, you can now go here, left, right, see, all over the blooming place, and yet there's still congestion. Hasn't, hasn't reduced it at all. Most of the people either don't bother paying it because they've got fake number plates on the cars, lots of people are exempt from it, and then there are other people who sort of pay it, and then, then they can't remember whether they paid it or not. I myself forgot to pay it a, sh- a short while ago. I, wouldn't, I don't want to pay the congestion charge. If I have to come into town now, I will probably come in by train. Which is, you know, it's okay, I could just about do that. Anyway, anyway, so, you know, you can always tell us. You might be one of the, those people that thinks it's a good idea to charge, you know, people to come and park in, in Westminster of a night time. You might be one of those. You'd have to convince me quite well. I don't think you'd manage it. Because I've got every argument known to man. Like, it's a stupid idea, would be the first one. 0845 973 And guess what? Kerry Coke Toner's back in the paper again today. Why is she back in the paper? Why is this dreary old mama four back in the paper? The woman with no talent, can't sing, can't dance, can't do anything at all, but manages to convince television companies to put her on the television. She's a bit Amy Childs. Amy Childs, apparently, is now having cooking lessons from Aldo Zilli on Amy Childs. This is where they're, they're desperately, desperately trying to make Amy Childs into something but a thick Essex girl. And, and they're, they're failing miserably. They're failing miserably. She is so boring, I can't tell you. But Kerry Katona, who they now put down as troubled, because if, if, if somebody's troubled, that means it covers everything. That, that can cover, you know, drink, drugs, bankruptcy, kids, covers everything. You're troubled. OK, it's like I'm doing charity work. You know, charity work's always very good. But Kerry Katona, they say, is on the verge of going bankrupt again. I didn't know actually you could go bankrupt twice, but apparently so in old in old Katona's uh, little world, because she needs to raise seventy thousand pounds for a tax bill by the end of the month. No chance, no chance. Put her in prison. Put her in prison. Let's go for that one. Kerry, thirty-one, but you know with the, with the the intelligence of a peanut, I'm afraid, also still owes her former management team in unpaid commission three hundred and fifty thousand. Now. That one I might take issue with, because normally how it works is if you're somebody like uh, Kerry uh, and you, you do a job, your, your management team, which, which is Claire, as you know, Big Claire, features on all, all the programmes. She's obviously very good. She knows how to make money, you know, even out of somebody, you know, no mark like, like Kerry Katona. They, they walked her through the last series. It was dreary beyond belief. And, uh, and you know, Kerry does a, you know, oh, I'm doing it for, for my kids. And I'm thinking, you know, how you were ever allowed to have children is beyond me. But Claire walked her through it. Then normally a job comes in. Say, like, you know, Steve Allen wants to book you to open his one-man show. <laughs> As if. But she comes in and I say, right, there's a fee of £20,000. That money goes to Claire's company. She takes her commission and then she pays the rest to Kerry. Kerry then deals with her her tax. I mean, that's how it would be normally in the, in the real world. Perhaps they had a different arrangement. I don't know how you can still owe Claire £350,000. It goes to... I mean, there's the, the, some sort of payment plan they're going to have to work out. Well, there's no chance, is there? Because she's hardly got any work. She was out on the town again the other night. She's got no, no concept of the real world. No concept. She doesn't own anything. She's wasted all her money. Most of it she's shoved up her nose, courtesy of the people in Colombia, which was you know, great. I couldn't care less. I really couldn't care less. I've seen stupid people like her before. If they want to do that, that's their business. 
but don't come bleating to us afterwards. Go, I need some help. I need, I need help, you know, getting out of this. So she's had meetings with Claire Powell, apparently. She spent three years clearing earlier debts after first going bust in 2008. A source, probably her, I should imagine, because she doesn't seem to have any friends. I think she's got Danielle, who's one of the uh, Spice, uh, Scary Spices sister, younger sister. I think she was pictured out at the Mayfair Hotel. Nothing on God's earth would ever get me to the Mayfair Hotel, because the only people who seem to go there are all the naff lowlifes. I mean, you know, they, they put the Kerry Katonas in there and Jordan and those two camp makeup artists. But, oh, dear, everybody goes to the Mayfair. Not for me at all. A source said she's skint yet again. She's in a mess and doesn't know what to do about it. She needs to sort it out and far. Well, she's never going to make 70 grand in a few days, is she? I don't think so. Even thinking the worst possible scenario. And 350,000 for Claire. You know, which if you owe Claire, you pay her. She's, she's done the work. She's got you the money. The fact you've wasted it is your problem. It's like when the tax man comes a-calling, it's no good going, well, I haven't got the money at the moment. You've had the money. They want their share. It's as simple as that. So I'm quite glad to see that dreary old Kerry Katona, who's, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know how many more times you can go bankrupt. I, I, I really despair. I mean, the woman's an idiot, you know, and, and her, her children will be learning nothing at all. Oh, there, there's mummy in the papers again. Mummy's in the papers again. Why? Because mummy's got no money again. You know, it's a bit Sarah Ferguson. Sarah Ferguson is sort of like a uh, sort of posh totty version of Kerry Katona without the drugs. She sort of can't handle money because she has no concept of it whatsoever. The Queen Mother never had any idea of money. The Queen Mother owed money, you know, to the bank. She was in hock for goodness knows how many millions, but because she was the Queen Mother, it was, it, there was never a problem with it. It was always going to be paid back, but they lived differently. You know, the Queen Mother probably had no idea how much money would be in a bank account or her post office savings book or anything. She wouldn't just, they wouldn't know about things like that. The Queen probably wouldn't have any idea. They know what the estate costs to run, but they have people that look at the books. You and I have a rough idea of what we earn in the course of a year, and we, if we're self-employed, then we have to put our tax money to one side. And then when the tax man comes a-calling and your accountant says, right, this is how much you owe, Steve, and I then go, ooh, I haven't got it, and he goes... Well, you've earned it. What have you done with it? And I then go, oh, I've spent it. He goes, well, that's not really their problem. That, that's your problem. You have to come up with the money. So every year, I make sure throughout the year, every month, my, uh, my, my sort of lady who looks after my account puts money in the tax account. So we've got it in there. And it's there for what I call a rainy day. It's there for, you know, if I need to go and buy something or if a, an expensive bill comes in, I've got the money there for that. And then when the tax man comes and knocking, that's there. So I get so annoyed and so really, really fed up when you read people like, you know, Kerry Katona. There was the other one who's, um, um, oh, I can't remember her name now. Uh, and, uh, no, Angela, it'll come to me in a minute. Who was the girl who used to present with Eamon Holmes on this morning? Anthea Turner. That's right, Anthea, T little Miss Tippy Toes. God, she's an irritant. And, <laughs> and her sister who was married to Gary Webster, is married to, they both declared themselves bankrupt because they couldn't be bothered to save their blooming tax like the rest of us and pay it. So they declared themselves bankrupt, still living very nicely, thank you, down the road from me. I tell you, I get infuriated. It's like that other woman on the television. She does one of those cash-in-the-attic programmes. Another one earned a fortune out of television, couldn't be bothered to save the money for the tax, so just went to the tax man, declared herself bankrupt. And that's it. And you think, well, the rest of us have to pay it. Why can't she pay it? It really, really annoys me. Really, really annoys me. Um, the woman whose house we talked over the other day, uh, she's, she's, she had a house, her mother died, left it to her, and she's got East European squatters in there now from, uh, from Moldova. They moved in and changed the locks. The police say that they can't do anything because it's a civil matter. They need to get this changed in the courts as quick as possible. 
They absolutely do. So that somebody goes into your house, the police move in, mob at it and throw them out. But if you can't move, a few numpties in blooming tents outside St Paul's Cathedral, there's no hope whatsoever. This, uh, this lady, Janice, who comes from Waltham Forest, is trying to raise a 100,000 uh, signature, urging the government to make squatting illegal. It should be illegal. I don't know why. Moving into, I tell you, if somebody moved into 10 Downing Street, they'd have them out pretty quick, wouldn't they? Why can't they do it in anybody else's house? And the answer is, one rule for them, one rule for you, I'm afraid. And if somebody moves into your house and changes the locks, as far as I'm concerned, that's actually theft. You move in there mob-handed. You know, stun guns, tasers, water... Ca- I couldn't care less what. Just just get them out. Kick them out on the streets. You know, how do they even get in the country in the first place? Well, they, they just arrived and the border control turned a blind eye and went, yeah, you just come over and squat. That's fine. It's Don't worry, it's easy in this country. The Brits don't do anything. They just go... But you just ignore them. Just stick two fingers up to them out the window. Laugh at them, because you've managed to get their quarter of a million pound house and you've got absolutely uh, nothing that you can do about it at all. Strange enough, do you remember... I have to mention this one because I, I was trying to think of how bad it was at the time when the two girls, Billy and Sam Faiers from the Only Wears Essex, uh, got beaten up in a London club. Do you remember? And there were stories in the papers that Billy and Sam Faiers were beaten up, unconscious, apparently. Unconscious. Well, the woman who did it faces no charges. There are no charges to face here at all. Apparently, Sam was beaten unconscious and Billy was robbed and assaulted. But a Metzl says no further action will be taken in relation to the woman in this case. So I think, was it not as, was it not as bad as we thought it was? Was it a bit overhyped so they could get in the papers? Or was there no, no charge to answer? Because the, the, the woman here is in her 20s, arrested and bailed last October. And they've now said there's, there's no... So are they not bringing charge? What's happening here? Because you would have thought if you were beaten unconscious, you'd want to see this woman in court. Or is there more to this case? Because I always think if, if this doesn't go any further, either the police don't have any evidence or the person who was assaulted goes, I, I don't want to take it any further. And you think, well, you bloody well sold it to the newspapers. You should take it further. You know, more to answer on that one, I think. More to answer on that one. Oh, my God, fathers. Oh, look. Anton Deck launching the new series of Britain's Got No Talent Whatsoever. Which is great. Sorry, it's called Britain's Got Talent, but as you know, we haven't, because the last series... Can you tell me who actually won the last series? Come on. Thank you. There you go. That shows how quickly we all forget. you tell me any of the acts on there? No. Amazing, isn't it? One will be a dancing dog. They normally bring on a dancing dog. Was it a gymnast again? Who knows? We love gymnastic companies, don't we? Rupert Barty and I are going to form a gymnastic company. We're trying to work out at the moment who's actually going to sort of lift the other one up. I think, to be honest with you, I think... <laughs> I don't have to bring in JCBs for this one. I think it's just not going to happen. But uh, so they, they, they were parading through Blackpool. You can tell it's Blackpool because they've got inflatable balloons, apparently looking like the Queen and Prince William, uh, although they don't look anything like the Queen and Prince William. But that's Blackpool for you. Never let it spoil a good, good waxwork show. And they've got Anton Deck waving to the people of Blackpool, all given little flags to wave for Britain's Got Talent. But as you know, the last series was so bad and so lame and so poor that they will be scraping the barrel. They'll be filming very shortly. Um, it's 2008, I think, when we last used Blackpool, because it is a dump. You know, the further up north you go, they get dumber, dumber, dumber. By the time you get to Blackpool, you might as well just throw yourself off the end of the pier, because they're so stupid up there. They really are. So uh, Anton Deck launched it up there. Luckily, they've got security around them, because you need it in Blackpool. It's a bit rough. At the best of times, just the women. It's a rough place, I'm telling you. It really is. That's the place where you prove how hard you are if you go out in the middle of winter when it's minus 20 wearing a miniskirt. You know, you have to go out with a miniskirt with your fags tucked in your bra and holding, you know, the £5 note to get you home or felling that a kebab and chips. 
Because that's what you're hard in Blackpool, if you're like that. Ricky Gervais says he never wants to hold the Golden, golden Globe again. Golden Globes again. Which is good news, because the Americans don't want you to do it either, because you were so blooming awful first time round. Well, first time you were OK, second time you were lame. You know, you've lost the weight, but also with losing the weight, you've lost your sense of humour. So there was no humour at all. And Sam Faears, oh, she's back in the papers again. Sam Faears, with her sister Billy Faears. Makes them sound like rabbits, doesn't it? Apparently has kept her place on the Noise Essex by getting a new bloke. And she said, it's amazing, I've bought a house and TJ's moving in. She's known him about five minutes. And apparently the good news is that he said he's in love with her. The joke's going to be on you, Poppet. The joke's going to be on you. Apparently the last bloke she went out with, I use the word bloke loosely, was, uh, was Joey Essex. <laughs> I can imagine what sort of relationship that must have been. It's LBC 97.3. 4.30. 38 minutes to five. It's lovely to have your uh, company. Thursday it is today. Thursday. Can't believe it, can I? Friday. What am I doing this weekend? Oh, driving. Driving, seeing people, you know, socialising, probably Gestatt, Verbier, Courcheval. Who knows? I haven't quite decided where I should go to do my shopping at Lidl. And, uh, and I'll be jetting out there and putting petrol in the car and then sobbing as I watch the metre going down. David and Vid stayed up all night watching three episodes of Great Expectations, which we taped over Christmas but didn't have a chance to watch. Did you see it? I didn't, actually. I do like all things Dickensian. I love, I just love Dickensian London. I love Dickensian, because it's always snowing. You never have, you know, it was summer in Dickensian London. It was always winter. Beautifully filmed. Not sure about the leading actors, though. He says, do you remember the BBC Sunday Tea Time series with Francesca Annis as Estella? Now, she was memorable. 4am, we're off to bed, but we will Sky Plus the show, as always. And best wishes for everybody on Facebook. Day trips to Paris, indeed. Try to mention Noreen, as she always gets overlooked. So that's good. There you go. I didn't see it. I, I watched uh, yesterday, because I'm going to be talking to the leading actor in it, uh, the new Madonna film, which is about Edward and Wallace Simpson. Very violent at the beginning. It's very, very violent at the beginning, because she, uh, Wallace Simpson was in a violent relationship, and, I mean, it was, it was awful. But, but very interesting, because we, we move about all over the place in this film. We sort of... Part of it goes back to... Edward and Mrs Simpson, and then we seem to be modern day, where we're looking at the auction of all their items, because everything was sold. Although the question I was asking myself all the way through it was, where did the money go for all the items that they sold? Because they sold everything. I got a, a book given to me years ago, which was printed uh, and produced by Mohamed El-Fayed, because he owns the house in Paris that, um, that the Windsors lived in. And with it came, of course, lots and lots of items. And um, his spokesman, Laurie, came in to talk about the house. And I've got a copy of this book. And I should have brought it in today because it shows you what the house looked like inside. It was wonderful. They entertained like royalty, even though he had uh, stepped down. He'd abdicated. They sold everything. They sold the desk that he'd, he'd done his abdication speech on. They sold the jewellery. And I just don't know where the money went. Does it go back to the royal family? Because I'm really not sure. The house was chock-a-block with things. She loved spending money. And then I remember distinctly the... Uh, the pictures in the paper when she was dying were taken by a nurse and, and the, uh, the uh, aforementioned Wallace Simpson was in bed, but she was, she was very old by that time and she was dying. And, uh, and it, was, it was terrible. It really was very sad to see. It was, it was even sadder that somebody would actually take, a, take a, a, a picture of somebody dying and send it to a newspaper. That, I thought, was awful. Incidentally, just in case uh, you think that, that gossiping, which is what I do, is, is bad for you, no. Latest research show it's very, very good for you. Gossiping is, about, far from idle chit-chat, talking about others has benefits for both the gossiper and wider society. It can, so they say, 
help control bad behaviour, present someone being exploited and even lower stress. So what I do is actually very good for me. It's good for you as well. You know, and you love it, I know, because we get more downloads of this programme than anything else. The free download, which Christo very kindly mentioned earlier on, he's appearing in Car Shorten very shortly, in a slightly camp play. But anyway, slightly, well, very camp play, actually, which we'll tell you about a bit later on. Uh, it, it is one of the most popular free, free downloads, and as such, we're in the iTunes chart, and we're very happy about it, too. So, uh, so it's, it's all very good. It's all very, very good stuff. And people love gossip. People love listening to gossip. You know, if, if you say to... I mean, I hate it when somebody says to me, did you hear the story about so-and-so? I go, don't tell me. Because if, if, if you tell me, I'll, I'll repeat it. Because the worst thing somebody can say to me is, listen, I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anybody. It drives me mad. <laughs> Anthony Worrell-Thompson does disservice to all those who abused Steve by using it as an excuse for shoplifting. I was sexually abused from the age of eight. One thing that worries me about telling people isn't that they will know it happened, but that so many people use it as an excuse for all kinds of bad behaviour. People stop trusting me because they don't know if abused people can be trusted. So stop blaming your past and take responsibility for your own actions. I don't believe a word that Anthony Worrell Thompson says. Not one word. I really don't. I never liked him before. And I'm pleased to say my opinion has not changed. I'm sure deep down inside he's probably very nice, but all the images I've seen are an arrogant, arrogant man who doesn't seem to have very much time for people. I can only go back to the jungle when I saw another side of him, but I knew before when I'd had him in the studio years ago, donkeys years ago, and I called him Anthony. When he said it's Anthony Worrell. And I thought then, oh, God, nothing worse than pretentious cooks as they're in the kitchen. Dreadful. And uh, another one here. Well said about Blackpool. It's grim up here. Oh, it is dreadful, isn't it? it really, it, it's a dreadful place. I mean, you know, it, it'd be years ago it was you're going to be banished to Coventry. Now it's we're going to send you to Blackpool. No, don't, please. It's horrible. I mean, it really is naff. I can I, I can't describe it in any other way. So gossip is good for you. Do you gossip? Are you a gossipy sort of person? Oh eight four five six zero six zero nine seven three. I'm I'm a gossipy person, and uh, as this program has particularly big audiences, I'm assuming that you must like gossip as well. Wouldn't listen to it if you didn't like a bit of gossip. And the good thing about this programme is, even if people don't, don't, don't like you, they still listen. They still listen. It's so funny. It's absolutely wonderful. I, I, I cannot get enough of it. It's, it's almost like therapy. Christo was talking about people who, who, who have an ambition, and he has an ambition to be an actor. Um, and, and I think he wants to be a good actor. He, he's, he's not worried about the money. He's not worried about the fame. He just wants to be a good actor. And I thought... I, mean, I, I can't remember thinking about doing anything else. I never thought I was going to be on the radio. I don't think I ever conscious... I just thought it was going to be a job. But all these years down the line, because I started very young, I started at the age of six, as you know, and now I'm sort of uh, coming up 40-something, <coughs> um, it's a case of, you know, it, it, it's what you do for a living. You don't think about it. You know, you, you could be very quiet before you start a programme, and just be, but you're not learning lines. It's not like being an actor, like Christo will be learning lines for the show that he's in. I don't come in and we work to a script. It doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. Somebody will say to me at the beginning of the programme, so what are you going to talk about today? And I can face them with all honesty and say, I haven't got the faintest idea. I really have no idea. Until I actually open up, you know, the, uh, the emails, uh, and I pick up the papers and I go through the papers, I've really got no idea. I'm very much governed by what, what the news of the day is, be it a serious news story, as in the case of this cheering yob walking free after kicking a man unconscious, in which case I, like the rest of the country, will be up in arms and will be calling for the death penalty. You know, because you look at this man who's literally just laughing at the judge 
I mean, he was, uh, he was sentenced at Manchester Crown Court. He's been allowed to go a free man. What possible judge in their right mind would ever let a thug go? Two of them beat this man unconscious. He's had to have a metal plate inserted. And we go, oh, that's all right. Here you are. You can go free. I'd really like to see some sort of comeuppance for this ghastly piece of work. It's, it's just, it is, it is just so awful. It's, it's awful. Uh, Dan says, you'll love Coach Trip tomorrow because DJs Mike Reed and Pat Sharp join the Motley crew. They're still alive, are they? Pat Sharp and Mike Reed? Surely not. They can't still be, they must be about 90. Good Lord, what an odd, an odd twosome. Anyway, the rant about the smacking Corrie Steve was spot on. I was smacked as a kid and I feel neither damaged nor traumatised. I'm now a dad of two and if they go too far, they know what could happen. It's ridiculous folk take offence at the scene on Corrie. There's only about 20 or 30 of them, stupid people. You know, the, the majority, it's, listen, it's all been passed by the lawyers. You know, all this was filmed six weeks ago. You don't think somebody would have said it you know, six weeks ago. No, because they have to wait until it's transmitted and then they can go, ooh, look, this. And then it gets people watching to see what, what the knock-on effect is. And that, that's why people like... But some people just like to write to a TV company because, because they don't get any letters from anybody. So if they write in and go, I think it's disgraceful. I mean, people used to write in to ITN for the news. And there was one, one particular lady, and she was a bit traumatised. She'd written in because at the end of the news bulletin, the, uh, the news forecaster winked. At the camera, little by Anne Robinson does it, but when she does it, it looks a bit evil, doesn't it? You know, she gives that horrible wink, which used to be funny when she started, because I thought she had a tick, and it turns out she hasn't. She did actually wink, but now it just looks sinister. And um, and the, the the newscaster at the end used to go, good night, and he'd do a little sort of sideways wink. And this woman thought that he was coming on to her. She used to sit at home thinking he's coming on to me. So the day he stopped doing it, she thought he'd fallen out of love. And, and she wrote in and complained bitterly about it. People write and complain. You can't believe that some people have quite clearly got one or two screws loose. And they, and, and they believe all this kind of stuff. They seriously believe it. If somebody winks at you on the television, it's like when you used to get Eamon Holmes going, nice to see you. You used to think, what do you mean nice to You can't see me. That was a stupid. You can't see me. You're looking down a camera. You know, you can't see me at all. I do like watching Pip Schofield, though. I think that's quite funny now. Every time I watch him, I love the way he dominates a conversation. I think it's just so clever. Um, Steve, the solution, says Colin, to squatters is to make trespassing a criminal offence. It's here in Canada. And we don't have that problem because anybody attempting to squat would be arrested without a moment's hesitation. As for your comment about the fact that nobody would be allowed to squat at number 10, I disagree. It took a while before Gordon Brown was turfed out of there. Very clever, very clever. Not very funny, but quite clever, I suppose. We can get away with that, just about. But it is awful, isn't it, that you can go out of your house, if you've left a window open, and they, and they get in, they, 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 they change all the locks, and they kick all your stuff out, and it can take you months to get them out again. Unfortunately, I wouldn't be as benevolent. I would be looking for, for sort of friends who would sort of come and do a little bit of, let's just call it, muscle. You know what I'm saying there? I'd be paying them 200 quid, kick them out, you know, drag them out by the scruff of their neck, throw them out into the streets, as simple as that, and then let them take you to court, you know, because they ain't going back in the house again. They have to set fire to the blooming place. It's as simple as that. Uh, would you like to know if you're going to live to 100? Nope. Nope. Thank you very much indeed. I don't want to know that. Imagine if they go, yes, you're just about going to live to 100, and you get to 99 and a half, and you think, oh, God, it's going to happen any day now. Don't you get that? Sometimes I walk up the back stairs here, because I, I, I kind of forget we can go out the front of the building. And so I walk down the back staircase, and I, and I catch sight of myself in the mirror, thinking, I need to speed this up a little bit. I'm looking a bit slow walking upstairs. But there's now a, a test that could determine whether or not you live to 100. 
OK. I, I, I can't tell you what, what the test is, but it's a study published tomorrow. Uh, one is to develop blood tests for longevity so they can see how your blood is going. Because we all have blood tests. Well, I have blood tests. And uh, apparently he admitted, the professor, that telling people they will live a long life could affect behaviour. He said, but we very much recommend living a healthy lifestyle regardless. The trouble is, nobody tells you what a healthy lifestyle is, do you? I mean, I'm assuming it's carrot sticks and celery sticks and don't eat fried food and do remember to take exercise and don't drink to excess and don't smoke, don't eat cream cakes. I mean, all the things you like doing, you can't do. You know, I mean, very shortly, I mean, the average age on the Jeremy Kyle show is going to be about 15 because all the rest of these chavs on there are going to be dead because they all eat, you know, the kebabs, which are filthy bad for you, filthy bad for you, and you only want to eat them when you've had a drink. If you're sober, you don't want to have a kebab because they just look disgusting. You come round our way, and well, I must have a word with somebody about this because there's a there's a couple of kebab shops where the, where the, the piece of kebab meat is sitting there stone cold. So what what you're supposed to do at the end of each day because it's heated on the outside is is wrap it up and put it away. They don't. They leave it sitting there. It goes into the fridge. They come out and they put it back up there. So stone cold meat, which is partly cooked. Small wonder people become ill. Through ghastly, filthy, dirty kebab shops. Oh, horrible places. And shame on the Catholic Church. Why? Because they've done something that they should be mortally ashamed of. I shall tell you the story of, uh, of Denham Ellaby in a moment and his mum, Claire. Denham is spelled D-E-N-U-M. I can only... I mean, that kind of gives an indication to me of what sort of family we're talking about, where you've got people that can't spell Denham. D-E-N-U-M. But anyway, he's, he's a very nice little boy. And he has, he has Down syndrome. And the reason he's come into conflict with the Catholic Church, I will tell you in a moment. LBC 97. Morning, 13 minutes to five. I can't believe it, can you? 13 minutes to five. Nearly Easter and happy Valentine's Day, because that's around the corner. If you think you're sending me a card, you just remember to put a photo and a phone number in. You know, no good but just putting, you know, your secret admirer. That's just a waste of time, really. You're never going to get a date that way, are you? So here is this little boy, Denham Ellaby. He attends a mainstream Roman Catholic primary school, and his parents wanted him to join his classmates in the first communion ceremony. You know, it's quite normal. But they claim the parish priest refused to consider him for the necessary preparation classes and was abrupt when Denham's mother, Claire, tried to discuss the matter with him. Mrs Ellaby said she complained to diocese chiefs, but they have backed Father Patrick Mungovin's stance that the boy would not sufficiently understand the preparation or be able to enjoy participation in mass. Well, this is ridiculous. He's a little boy. He's seven. You know, I mean, everybody else is doing it. Why can't he do it? The church has uh, denied banning Denham and says it hopes he'll be ready to participate in the important religious ceremony in the future. Because children being prepared, as you know, for First Communion when they get the body and blood of Christ for the first time are expected regularly to attend Mass on a Sunday. And Mrs Ellaby says that Denham doesn't go every Sunday as a one-hour Mass is simply too long for him. But she and her husband, Darren, said they expected the church to allow him to be taught about the Catholic faith at home and that authorities would be flexible, as is customary for children with learning disabilities. And so far they've managed to get 400 signatures, supporting Denham in only two weeks. She says, I believe it's because of his disability that they won't accept him. I feel very upset. My son is being discriminated against. I feel let down by the Catholic faith. Many people feel let down by the Catholic faith and church. They, they appear to close their eyes to a lot of, a lot of wrongdoings. 
in the Catholic Church. But in a case like this, you'd have thought they'd have welcomed this little boy. All right, so, so he can't go every Sunday. But then there's loads of other people that don't go every Sunday and probably call themselves... Re- Why is it religion makes things difficult for people? Why is it that they, they shouldn't just be grateful to have somebody else enter the Catholic Church? You know, you'd have thought they'd, they'd have wanted that. But um, they say here, this is a diocese spokesman, they said, Christians come to share fully in the life of the Christian Church through the sacraments of baptism, First Communion and Confirmation. Often baptism is celebrated for babies in order to bring them into the life of the Church, but they only proceed to the sacrament of First Communion when they take part in the Church's life and understand the Church's faith in regard to these sacraments. I don't think the Catholic Church is any church to hold its hand up and go, oh, this is the way that, that everybody should behave, because, frankly, some of the practices that have gone on within the Catholic Church and within the Catholic Brotherhood are possibly obscene. You know, to, to deny this little boy going to his First Communion ceremony is just nothing short of discriminatory. It's just shameful that they wouldn't want to do something. He's a lovely little lad. He just wants to go with all his schoolmates. All right, so he's got Down syndrome, and an hour is probably too long for him every Sunday. But then it's called give and take, isn't it? Isn't it called being accommodating? Isn't it called, you know, trying to make people part of the church? I mean, what does he think now? What do his parents think? You know, well, screw you kind of situation, isn't it? You know, they don't really care about us at all. They're just into, you know, all the other things that go on in the Catholic Church. We don't really want Down syndrome children because they're a bit of an embarrassment to us not good enough is it really you just you know you really want people to you know to sort of just be just be nice and it does seem that religion makes people very angry nowadays more and more people sort of turn to religion i don't know why they turn to religion i'm assuming there must be something missing in their life you know because we we all come into the world without any religion and then normally you end up following the religion that your parents have if indeed you have a faith or anything like that some people don't have a faith doesn't make any difference depends what you believe doesn't it Nobody can force you to, 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 to take a faith. They go, oh, you're missing something. No, you're not. You're not missing anything at all. You're missing anything. We used to, we were just laughing about being in the choir at school uh, when I used to go to the local little church in Essex. And uh, we used to sit there. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were only 9, 10 and 11. And we had no idea. We knew nothing about religion. We just knew that there was this bloke, Jesus. And he walked around and he had loads of people following him. He did a, th- a bit of a trick with the loaves and the fishes. And, uh, and then he died because he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And then he ascended and then they built churches. And that's all we knew about religion. We didn't know anything else. And we just knew that if you turned up in the choir, you know, you didn't have to sit in one of the hard seats. You got a more comfy seat and you got paid for it. Not that money ever changed hands. We never saw any money at all. And we'd sit there. And the only reason we were there is because we quite like singing. And you'd get the hymn book, and there'd be the five hymns for the service on the Sunday. And you'd go through, you'd go, f- 371. So you'd look at 3371 or whatever it was and go, oh, I don't like that. And you'd turn to your friend and go, it's that boring hymn there. We don't like that one, do we? It's not a good bit for me to excel. And so, and, and while we were singing one hymn, we'd be looking at the next one we were singing. Because you couldn't wait to turn the pages over. Yeah. Lick the end of the pages and turn them over. And it was, it was quite funny. You'd think, who's picked these hymns today? They're all boring except the last one. So you'd sing that with gusto. We used to love the last hymn. Oh, fabulous it was. And the smell of churches. It's great. But then you think, because at those age, we didn't know about prejudice. We didn't know about that people could be horrid. We didn't know anything at all. We just turned up because we thought it was a bit of a hoot. And you got to get off school a bit earlier on a Sunday, which is a bit naughty. Uh, going back to Celebrity Coach Trip, and Paul tells me that uh, Ashleen and Nikki are still hanging on following the previous day's shock result, which saw Edwina and husband John being given the yellow card, which... Had it been given to the Big Brother girls, would have resulted in them being on their way home. Croatia and Zagreb, the next destination, on arrival, 
The team were given their first task of the day, which was to learn judo. The sight of Edwina being thrown about during the demonstrations was a sight to behold. Once again, Diana's self-proclaimed rock... Paul Burrell threw himself into the task, no pun intended, much to the delight of Brendan, though, for a change. The former butler seemed to be somewhat unnerved by a rather young lad chucking him around the floor. However, as Brendan wryly observed, it still didn't prevent him bringing Buck House into the equation when talking about the experience. I know, you sometimes wish that Paul Burrell would keep his big mouth zipped. Second part of the day, cake making. Needless to say, the mention of eggs made Edwina the butt of numerous jo- jokes, which she took with good grace. Sadly, after being seen by Ashleen making remarks to her partner, Mr Burrell, about the Big Brother duo's performance in the kitchen, Jean, the etiquette queen, had a torrent of abuse held by Nicky, who then burst into tears and left the kitchen. Nicky, I'm going to come round and slap your legs, OK? Don't do it. To her credit, Ashleen completed the task and made quite a reasonable job of it. And the dreaded voting process then began. Cannon and Ball voted for the Big Brother duo because they'd been name-calling. The girls promptly followed casting their vote to Paul and Jean because they felt they were being looked down on. And the final two couples, John and Edwina, voting for the girls because of the behaviour of Nicky and a very tearful and emotional Derek from EastEnders, did the same on behalf of him and partner John Nasty Nick Cotton. Altman. And so it was dragging the luggage behind them that the two celebrity Big Brother stars departed back into their zedless lives and almost certain six-page colour spread in next week's OK magazine. Quite possibly, I should imagine. <laughs> Don't you just love it? The world of celebrityism, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, 84850, Steve at the... Uh, Steve, at LB, Steve at the where? Steve in... Uh, Steve. In Gough Square, I nearly said. Stephen Leicester Square. Uh, another one here. It says, uh, the kebab meat is meant to be thrown away at the end of the night. The burner should never be turned off. If the meat is cooked, it should be trimmed off, researched it locally, but only found the answers on Brighton's website. Thank God for Google, which is good. Uh, another one here. The woman with the squatters. Couldn't she smash her windows and break down a front door? After all, they do belong to her. That would drive them out. Um, well, apparently not. Apparently not, I'm afraid. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why you can't do I mean, I would be mob-handed. I would be taking in, you know, the hellfire and brimstone mob, I'm afraid. Excuse me, you're in my house. I couldn't give a flying forex who you are. You're getting out now, and we're going to throw you out. Women, children, everybody. You know, go break into somebody else's property, but not mine. You know, you've made a big mistake here. But we don't. We sit back, don't... We don't do anything. Dave the cabbie. He says, you're so funny, you crack me up. And Clive in High Wycombe says, uh, can't you and your radio mates run for government and bring England back to order? I tell you, I'm afraid I'd be a little bit too draconian for this country. I would be hang em and flog em. The bloke is on the front page of The Sun this morning, the thug who kicked the Good Samaritan unconscious, laughing in the face of the justice, Daniel Shapovsky, 24, raising his arms aloft. you think he'd won the lottery, and of course he has. He's just got away with, uh, with kicking somebody unconscious. I'm afraid I'd have him banged up for ten years. And I'd be kicking out half these, uh, half these wayward uh, briefs everywhere that go, well, I, you know, it is, it is human rights. You know, we have to, have to look after this matter. No, I'm afraid anybody who's a convicted murderer, rapist or whatever, we kick them out of the country. And when I say kick them out, we take them out in an aeroplane, halfway across the ocean, we open the door and push the, push the blooming people out. I'd have no messing about with these people whatsoever. Protesters outside St Paul's Cathedral, water cannon. Water cannon. Get out, you grubby little lot. You need a good wash anyway. Half of them are not sleeping there. 90% of the tents are empty. And uh, they've said, oh, we're going to defy it. Get out. Go and do it somewhere. Go and sit in the middle of the Thames. Try and be intelligent people sitting outside the church, upsetting people who want to go into church and have a, have a nice day out. So uh, I'm afraid I would be that, that kind of person. I would be Hangham and Flogham Brigade. I'd not be, uh, not be very good at all, I'm afraid. Uh, Lawrence says, Anthony Warrell-Thompson used to walk around Henley most days. Very rude and arrogant. 
I don't think you can walk around being rude and arrogant. I think, I think, I think he just is arrogant. He just really is. And, of course, now he's just a common thief. Common being the operative word. But he's milking it for all he can get, and that's what annoys me. In this country, if you do something bad, they, they applaud you. There's a lovely story on the front of which paper is... Oh, it's the sun again, actually. And, um, and this is some bloke who's, who's gone to the papers. Uh, his name is <coughs> Graham Griffiths. And he's a hunky holiday Romeo who told yesterday how Rodri Giggs' wife, Natasha, left him exhausted after a string of sizzling Cyprus sex sessions. There's a nobody this woman hasn't slept with. I mean, who else has she been with? Good Lord, honestly. And he says here that uh, Rodri, this is the uh, the plank, I'm afraid. You know, Rodri couldn't hang on to his wife for eight years as she was uh, off bonking away with, uh, with the brother. That he'd have to lock her up to make their troubled marriage succeed. Oh, exactly. I, mean, I wouldn't trust her as far as I could throw her. I really wouldn't trust Throw her being the operative. Throw her being the operative. They've also wanting... What did they want in Australia? They were looking for something to be included in the Olympics. It wasn't, it wasn't dwarf tossing. It was something like that to be included in the Olympics. The very idea of watching dwarves being tossed is actually quite, quite amusing and quite funny. Uh, we'll probably make, if you're doing synchronised swimming, then you might as well put that in as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of the stuff that they're going to come up with for the Olympics. If, of course, at the moment, it, it all looks like nothing's going to happen because the tube drivers want extra money, don't they? And Auntie Bob Crow is sort of trying to negotiate some money for them. So we've got money for other drivers because apparently it's really tough being a tube driver. It's like really, really difficult because they're going to be carrying like loads of people on the tube. And for this, they want extra money. So I'm assuming if they don't carry many people on the tube, we take money away from them. You know, why they want extra money. So the bus drivers there want some extra money as well, because it's like extra passengers, you know, so as opposed to carrying 100 people on the bus, there'll be 400 crammed on there, and that make the bus unsafe, and there'll be accident, it'd be really, like, difficult. And so we have to give them extra money. And apparently giving them extra money makes them nice, pleasant people. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make them any different at all. I don't know why on earth we have to give extra money to people, because we've got the Olympics. You'd have thought, really... I mean, I think we should have the official uniform of the Olympics, lederhosen. And I think that all the people who work on the buses... And the people who work on the train should be made to wear it, and Ugg boots. And even, even, I think, conductors on, on the trains. They go, mind the doors, mind the gap. I've always wanted to get off the train and drop down the gap just to frighten them a little bit. You know, that woo, and just disappear in front of their eyes, but it, it'll probably never happen. Anyway, 84850 steve at lbc.co.uk or 08456060973. Brilliant news about kicking out the squatters from in front of St Paul's Cathedral. And even better news, there's going to be no charges from Westminster. But they could have saved themselves a fortune if they'd asked the people of London, would you like to pay extra money for parking? No, we wouldn't. End of conversation. Millions saved. Everybody goes home happy. News with Sam Pittis is next. On FM, online and digital radio, London's biggest... Morning, coming up to four minutes past five. Thursday morning in London town, wet. Cold, miserable, damp. Typical late January weather. Typical late January weather. I'll tell you, I'll tell you now, just in case you're, uh, you're sort of wondering about just how bad the weather is going to be today, I can tell you I'm not actually doing anything at the moment. I don't seem to have an up-to-date weather. I sh- I should, oh, here it is. Here it is. I found it, actually. Cloudy at first with rain, some heavy, because I got soaking wet yesterday because I, I obviously didn't read my own weather. Gradually clearing to leave bright and somewhat colder conditions. 11 degrees. Currently it's 11, so it's going to go no better. Tonight, clear, cold and breezy. 
Clouding over later, perhaps light drizzle in the north before the morning arrives. Minimum three degrees, and then tomorrow cloudy. Spots of rain mainly to the north of London. Further three-day forecast, Saturday mainly overcast but dry. Sunday cloudy with sunny spells, and Monday cooler with a mix of sunshine and clouds. So the snow prospect appears to have abated at the moment. And I'm hoping it stays that way, because I've decided... Yesterday, it was, it was a bit cold, and with the wind and the rain, it was a little bit depressing. I don't mind any sort of weather. I mean, I, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not really that fussed about the weather. But when you're not prepared for it, and you, and you go out, then you get... And it's only when I walked out the front door yesterday that I, I looked down... The, now, they've either cleaned Leicester Square, which is a bit unlikely in its present state, or, failing that, it's been raining... And blow me down, it had been raining, and it, it really wasn't very, wasn't very good at all. Uh, 84850, or 80845-6060973. That's if you're one of those people who is delighted, delighted, that there's going to be no charges for Westminster. So you can come in at night, you can freely drive in if you can find somewhere to park, because you remember, they have changed a lot of the single yellows for double They've been out there rather sneakily actually changing things. So just be, just be a little bit careful. Little bit uh, careful. Uh, I wanted to say, says Jackie, uh, about Captain Coward, the Italian-stricken ship captain. Many Titanic victims are buried in Halifax, Canada. One of the gravestones says, Each man stood at his post while all the weaker ones went by and showed once more to all the world how Englishmen should die. So there you go. Actually, there's a, there's a, it's, I, I didn't like the way that they equated that Italian ship going down to the Titanic. The Titanic is two miles down. This thing's poking out the water. Nothing like the Titanic. All right, so they think, yeah, I think 1,500 people died on the Titanic, Fifteen to 1,800 people. On this one, less than 20. I know it's 20 people too many, but it's nothing like the Titanic. The Titanic had a, had a you know, a, a cast of, of thousands, some very, very, very rich people were on that ship making the journey. You know, this was just an Italian cruise ship. You know, there might have been some very rich people on there, but to be honest with you, it's nothing like the Titanic. Absolutely nothing like it at all. Paul says, as a Catholic myself, I can only hope that the leader of the church in this country overrides both the bishop and the priest involved in this sorry episode and bounces both of them from their parish and diocese as soon as possible. This is over the, the little Down syndrome boy who wants to go along to his communion. They've said, well, not really. You have to be committed to the church. And because he doesn't go every Sunday, because he's Down syndrome. And his mum's pointed out that the service is an hour. And if you're an hour and you're a little boy, it was bad enough, you know, when we went to church. An hour is just ridiculously lengthy. You know, some services go forever. I mean, you can die in the middle of services. You know, we used to take sometimes a book and colour in or something like that or mark the page. We used to do all sorts of things. But whatever it was... You know, we didn't we didn't want to be put off religion. And the sad thing is that Paul says, on this occasion, I admit to being over 50. Good Lord. And I'm making my first communion, did it in the company of two Down syndrome lads and a girl in a wheelchair. Who do these two idiots think they are? As you say, the attitude of these two so-called servants of God is enough to put people off religion for life. And that's the one thing you don't want at an early age. You want to embrace people. You want people to come into the church. And so he's Down syndrome. Well, then you make allowances for him. You know, for goodness sake, everybody else knows what they're doing. He might not. He might want to be a little bit noisy during it. But then that's part of it, isn't it? What do you expect? Everybody, when you go, shh, nobody says a word. No, of course not. You're supposed to be welcoming into the church. You're supposed to make people feel that it's a family that you can turn to if all else in your life collapses. I mean, I I can think of loads of, of priests around the country, you know, all around this country, who'd be more than happy to welcome this family into their fold. 
Because that's what church... For goodness sake, I mean, churches now are suffering. They're really suffering with sort of people not going there. You go to some, some church services on a Sunday evening, and there's barely 20 people there. So they really, really need to sort of get their act together and to be, to be nicer to people. To be nicer. One of the, one of the stories that uh, is covered on the front of the, uh, the papers today, uh, and, and, and this is... I don't know what the answer is, because I feel so heartily sick about it and so angry. A thug who kicked a good Samaritan unconscious, laughing in the face of Britain's soft justice. Uh, this is a, a chap called Daniel uh, Chapowski, raising his arms aloft with it. You'd thought he'd have won the lottery, as opposed to just being, being let off free. He's been given some community service and a tag, but he kicked a man unconscious. And he's going, yeah, it doesn't work, of course. He's a sponger. I mean, I'd just take benefits away. I'm so, I'd, I'd have to start with something like that and go, you haven't earned the right to have anything at all. You could obviously afford to have tattoos up your whole body and wear a rather cheap, ghastly-looking suit, but you do come from Manchester, so we'll have to excuse you on that one. Um, but it's, it's the case of what is justice in this country? And the answer is nobody gets justice. Nobody gets justice anymore. You, you just begin to wonder which hymn sheet the judges are singing from. But if this was a member of your family, brother, father, you know, son daughter, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, and this yob was outside there cheering because he'd just been let off, you'd be seriously thinking about damage inflicted on him, wouldn't you? Or paying somebody. You really would. It's, it's just absolutely appalling. In this day and age, there's no such thing as justice. I'd love to know what the, uh, you know, how the, the judge in this particular trial feels about it. Uh, Jesus Christ, super sure. This is the fact that they think Nicole Scherzinger... Could be one of the judges for Andrew Lloyd Webber's new egotistical show on ITV. This is to find somebody... Well, it's a rock group they're looking for to sing the Jesus Christ Superstar stuff because they're going to do an arena tour. It, it's another money-making concern for Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he'll be given a programme on ITV in which he can, he can sort of just exploit his own show, as it were, uh, which is a bit sad. <coughs> it's a, sorry. There's a woman here who's in Coronation Street. I don't know who she is, but she says, I'm a sex symbol to men over 40. They've got a very annoying character in Coronation Street. Actually, they've got quite a number of annoying ones. But this is a woman who seems to follow Norris around. And, and she's, it's just a ridiculous character. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous, I'm afraid. How many people lose their jobs every day? 1,300. Worst affected areas, Lewisham in London... East Dunbartonshire, Haringey, Hackney, Hartlepool, North Ayrshire, East Renfrewshire, East Ayrshire, South Lancashire and, uh, and Gwent. So the worst place is Lewisham in London. But that's probably because a lot of people don't want to work. Or perhaps, you know, whatever happened to years ago, if there's no work in your area, then move to another area. Some people travel miles every day. Some people really, really travel hundreds of miles to go to work, and yet some people go, well, there's no jobs in my area, I just have to claim benefits. Well, you know, be a bit more adventurous. A little bit more adventurous. Do you remember Miriam O'Reilly? Miriam O'Reilly, cast your mind back. She was the, uh, the former Countryfile host um, who took the BBC to court. She won an age and discrimination case because she wasn't being used because she was 54. I mean, the fact of the matter is that television is, is a medium for attractive people. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. That's what it is. You don't want to turn on the television and see people less attractive than you are. You really don't. I want to turn on the television and see people looking the best that they can. And in fact, even Nick Ross told the 2010 Edinburgh TV Festival, like it or not, TV is a lookist medium. In 40 years of telly, I've never worked with a minger. So after that... 
<laughs> he so has. But anyway, yeah, I don't want to sort of mention any names or patriot. But that's what we expect on television. People are meant to make the best of themselves. And in the case of uh, of Miriam O'Reilly, I, I didn't quite see it. I just thought she was... She, it didn't matter what she looked. She just looked like a standard BBC presenter, if not a lot older than most of them, and was, and was very average in her presenting skills. So as way of a compromise... They actually sort of popped her up on on country file, and uh, and and it just it just didn't quite work for me because I felt she was there for the wrong reason. Because I'm not saying it has to be all young people on country file. I'm just thinking that there has to be another. Anyway, she's left the BBC now. She's walked out on the BBC. She's decided. That, uh, that, that she's had enough, and she's moving on to other projects, including her own charity, which is the Women's Equality Network. And so, you know, we went through all the charade, and then you think, but you should stay there, really, because otherwise you're letting people down. You know, you, you, you had a victory. Stay there. Stay there. Prove, prove you can do the job. But, I mean, I'd never heard of her before that. I know it sounds awful. I, I really... I didn't know. I think they actually ended up putting her on Crime Watch, and she was doing stuff for them. But whatever it was, she wasn't as good as some of the, the old stalwarts. You know, the, 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 I was going to say the Jan Leemings and, uh, and people like that. People of her ilk. Because it's, it is difficult for women in television. So people end up being producers because it's a lot easier to be a producer than it is to actually be a presenter because people are very much geared to what you look like on the television. You know, that's why I'm on the radio. And, you know, it's, it's a lot easier. <laughs> and, and James Whale says, thank you for calling him good-looking. On Skies, he's been waiting a long time. Well, I mean, I see him... Th- I mean, I have a sepia screen over my, my television, James. So, in fact, it's ironed out all of your wrinkles. And, and every- because, to be honest with you, I saw- the first time I saw him, him on Sky, because I've got HD, it does look a little bit like a roadmap of the Sahara. I mean, it's nice. But I did find myself colouring in on the television. I had a felt-tip pen, and I was colouring in, thinking, I've seen here this man in, in real life. And so I know what he looks like. And I tell you, they don't have to do him up for the television. I mean, he must have this stuff troweled on. That's why I don't do television anymore. It's so much easier. So much easier. 0845 6060973. People talking that Lily Allen's addicted to biscuits at the moment. And I haven't had biscuits for a while. But if I did have a biscuit, I used to love um, a digestive not a chocolate digestive, just a plain digestive, just to, because you could sort of break them up and have little bits of them. I noticed the fruitcake all vanished from upstairs yesterday. I was looking forward to a piece coming in this morning. I thought, I'm quite looking forward to a little piece of fruitcake. And, and there wasn't any there at all. It doesn't really matter, does it? So, TV sweetheart, this is uh, Katie Kavanagh. I'm a sex symbol for older blokes over 40 who like a woman who makes a bit of an effort and keeps her man happy. A little bit like Denise Welsh, isn't it? She's trying to make everybody happy in the Big Brother house, but as usual is failing miserably and coming over just as a, as a person who's drinking too much in there and really should lay off the booze because uh, she becomes a little bit of an embarrassment. And the other thing that's an embarrassment are the clothes that people wear at Ascot. We mentioned it briefly the other day. I call it Ascot as opposed to Ascot because it is Ascot for people who live there. Like people who live in Clapham, it's Clam, whether you like it or not. And if you eat in Spud you like, it's Spadulike. OK, sorted that problem out. At the LBC News Centre with the headline, Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. Westminster Council's officially scrapped plans to bring in late night... I think I'm going to have to be like Las Vegas. I'm not going to give you time checks anymore. I don't think you need to know, just unless, of course, you're rushing for trains. In which case, okay, 20 plus 5. Um, you know, because otherwise people go, oh, it's, it's 20... Oh. Why do people worry about time? You, know, you don't worry about it when you go to Las Vegas. You go there, you don't worry about what time it is or where you are. 
and you lose all sense of reality. It's a bit like listening to this programme this morning. And David and Vid have now been listening since 4am and now got a craving for sausages. For some str- I had sausages yesterday. Sausages and sprouts. What a funny combination, actually. The more I think about it, it was an odd combination, but I have this... Have this appeal, I'm afraid, with, with... I just can't get enough of sprouts. I've only got... I really can't get enough of them. I mean, yesterday, I must have eaten 20 sprouts. I'm sure, I'm sure it can't be good for you to eat that many sprouts. But I had them with sausages. So I ate six sausages and sprouts. Which is six... What, six sausages? Is that a lot? I don't know. They were... They were um, Cumberland sausages. Six of them. Oh, it's a lot. Oh, oh, well, how many should I have eaten, then? Like, two or three. Well, the six in a pack. So you have, to, you have to eat six. It's like if there's 12 fish fingers in a box, you eat 12 fish fingers. Can't imagine why you wouldn't eat six. I mean, to be honest with you, I was amazed at myself that I could eat six sausages. But uh, I didn't have much trouble with them. Almost, I sort of cut them up into pieces, because I like to pretend I'm about 12 when I do sausages and sprouts, because then you can get a sprout and a piece of sausage on the fork at the same time. And, it's, and, and I, I, I put some gravy with it. Unfortunately, they, they were pork sausages, but I only had beef gravy. So it was a very odd taste yesterday. Uh, and David would say, oh, no snow. They've got new Thai staff who've never seen snow and are waiting for it to come. Oh, don't worry. Don't, I promise you, before the, before the year is out, we will have seen snow. I'm hoping we see snow. I mean, well, actually, I'm not hoping we see snow because it was terrible last year and the year before was awful as well. Round here, it was like slippy slidey. And, and when you get to our age... And I'm, when I say our age, I'm speaking generally. Um, and when you fall over, my God, you know you've fallen over. You really do. Uh, Christo was reading out earlier on this evening as Prince Philip uh, relives 90 classic gaffes to mark his 90th birthday. And there have been loads. Uh, to deaf children by a steel band in the year 2000. He said, deaf, if you're near there, no wonder you're deaf. Because he, he was, I always, I always think, I mean, nobody could ever be offended by Prince Philip because they are just so ludicrous. Uh, one of them here. To a woman solicitor in 1987, he said, I thought it was against the law for a woman to solicit. You see, that's actually quite funny for... No, just me again. Uh, Another one here, um, he says, uh, we go into the red next year, I shall have to give up polo. Well, you know, that's fine, isn't it? On the Duke of York's house in 1986, he said, it looks like a tart's bedroom. Which, of course, it probably was. (laughs) In Canada in 76, he said, we don't come here for our health. And peering at a fuse box in a Scottish factory, he said, it looks as if it was put in by an Indian. He later backtracked, I meant to say cowboys. <laughs> he did, got it round the wrong way, poor soul. His verdict on Stoke-on-Trent during a visit in 1997. Ghastly. He's obviously not been to Blackpool. And um, to a British trekker in Papua New Guinea in 1998, you've managed not to get eaten then. Which is, you know... <laughs> He said to some person, he said, you are a woman, aren't you? That was said to somebody in Kenya, because he wasn't sure, we weren't sure either. And when offered wine in Rome in the year 2000, he snapped, I don't care what kind it is, just get me a beer. And uh, another one here, to, to to a children's band in Australia in 2002, he said, you were playing your instruments or do you have a tape recorder under your seats? I think that's all right, isn't it? You can get away with something like that. You know, he's, he's, he's just, you know, on how difficult it is in Britain to get rich. This was one of my favourites. He says, what about Tom Jones? He's made a million and he's a bloody awful singer. <laughs> he says, I like that. He's 90, for goodness sake. He can say anything he likes. And, of course, you think differently. 0845 uh, If you're one of those people who goes to Ascot, uh, I'm looking at some of the ghastly fashions. I mean, some people quite clearly... 
are sort of one step away, away from advertising in a phone box. There's some poor creature here wearing a dress which is held together just with a knot. There's no bra underneath. There's no... She just looks cheap and tarty, I'm afraid. You, do, you, you, you don't dress like this if you're walking around at home, let alone walking out on the street. And um, just too much flesh on display. I think people should be, you know, discreet when they go to Ascot. It has become an excuse for people to wear cheap, tarty clothes. And it does attract a lot of cheap, tarty people. I don't mind the fashionistas, though. I think they're OK. I don't have a problem with the fashionistas. I don't know why people are getting up in arms about them. They're just little little bits of headgear. But now they've, they've said that they have to be four inches across. It's got to be this and that. Who cares? If you think years ago, Gertrude Schilling, who used to go to Ascot all the time, was famous for wearing big hats. And they would always be themed. It would either have a cross-channel ferry on it or, you know, an Eiffel Tower or something. She went to be photographed. You know, Gertrude Schilling, her son David is a, is a milliner, so it kind of runs in the family. And he would make the hats that his, that his mum would wear, and she was gloriously eccentric. Nowadays, it's, it's the, the clothes which just make these people look just too brassy. Very, very brass. There are too many drunks who go to Ascot now. You know, people, we had a fight last year, didn't we? I think, was that at Liverpool? One of them, I think at Aintree or something. It just is embarrassing, I'm afraid. Uh, Joanna says, of course it's difficult for women on television. Especially when there are old-fashioned men like you around. Well, it's nice to be old-fashioned, Joanna, isn't it, really? I bet you're not a looker either. I bet you're not. You could always tell that. Because you have to be a looker for television. That's, that's what television is. It's like, you know, people... You put them in the movies because they're, they're attractive and good-looking. It's like models are, are, are good-looking because they're models. Although sometimes you look at them and you can't actually, can't actually tell. Kevin the Milkman says, Now that Denise Welsh has got them out in the Big Brother house... Can you reassure us that Auntie Ina does not apply to go in there in the next series? Oh, we, we've, we've taken the television away from her. We've taken it away. She, she can't separate reality from, from fiction. So she's, she's just really, you know, we, we don't want her watching anything like that. Uh, Paul in Weybridge says, Sprouts are lovely with bacon lardons fried in butter. Oh, dear. I'm not sure about that. Um, as a Catholic, surprised to hear about the little boy. Whatever happened to the teaching of suffer little children to come under me? Says Teresa. I'd like to ask them that. Anyway, keep up the good work. You do start the day with a smile. Joyce thinks that David Cameron's got a bald patch. Oh, dear. Dreadful. I checked on Google Maps. The journey time of the trip in the Bible that took 40 days and 40 nights by foot should take about half an hour. Same as walking from Trafalgar Square to Charing Cross Station. What, you think Trafalgar Square to Charing Cross Station is half an hour? That's about five seconds. What, are you stupid or something? It's just Trafalgar Square. Next door to it, Charing Cross Station. You think that's half an hour? The, baby, the, the Bible might not be factual in part, says Matt. I don't think so, actually. I don't think so. And if you don't want your rights taken away, then don't take away somebody else's. Thugs, squatters should forego their rights. I, too, would throw them out on their bottoms, especially from the, uh, especially from the plane as we send them back home. I think that would be a very, very good idea. This is the story of the poor lady who wants her house back. She's got Moldovan squatters in. They're not coming out. And the police have held their hands up and said, nothing to do with us. You'd have thought, actually, if somebody takes over your property, that would be theft. That would, I mean, I can't understand why the police... I know it's a civil offence at the moment, but they need to change the statute books, don't they? Quick as possible. Unless, of course, you think differently. What would be your answer? 0845 973 And what has encouraged you to lose weight? There was uh, a woman here, she was battling a rugby ball-sized cancer tumour. Her name's Emma Parker. And uh, she tipped the scales at 18 stone. And now she has, uh, she's dropped down. And she's just... Oh, that's right, she's an advert for Slimming World. There's always got to be a reason. There's never just something normal. It's a case of she's done it with Slimming World. And so she's now down. I think she lost eight stone 
Three and a half pounds. She's gone from size 22 to size 10, and she weighs nine stone 11. I bet she's really miserable. I bet you bet she's really miserable. Everybody who, who loses a lot of weight gets very depressed. They want to put it all on again. I like that idea. 84850, uk or... Um, 84850. I keep thinking what all the different numbers were, actually. There's loads of them, aren't there? 84850, or 08456060973. Especially if you're one of these uh, people that thinks it's a wonderful idea that Westminster have finally scrapped the, the parking charges. As I said before, it would have been easier just to ask the people of London, would you like to, to pay extra for parking in London, or would you not? And we go... No. In fact, you, you could have done it on a phone thing or on at the internet. You could have done it on, on anything at all, really. And, um, and then we, and we could have voted that way. We could have saved a small fortune, as opposed to them coming out there and starting to put things in place when we didn't want it in the first place. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted it at all. It was the kind of thing that was so unpopular. So the bloke who thought it up in the first place, I mean, must have been, I mean, one of his peculiar days, decides to resign. So he actually resigns. And then they go, OK, we're now not going to run. Well, first of all, they, they thought they would run with it. But after the Olympics, now they've said, no, we're not going to run with it. Which is good news. Why would you want to kill London stone dead? People are, at the moment, especially in a recession, fighting to get people into restaurants, into theatres, into doing all sorts of things. People who work in all these places. There must be millions who come into the capital you know, every year, who've all got jobs and they can't afford to stop paying for parking. They really can't afford it. And so you can have more traffic wardens. And all it is, it's just, it's, there's no reason. You know, London isn't that overcrowded. It's done as a money-making venture. And can somebody explain to us what women see in Russell Brand? This dirty, scruffy, deeply unfunny person is very successful with the ladies. And the papers have asked today, what do women see in him? Also, they ask other questions like, what's the point of Jedward? And the answer is they're not. They're just two silly little five-year-olds who masquerade as 18-year-olds and, and prance around like ninnies, I'm afraid. Also, why was Stonehenge built? I thought religion, actually. And Kerry Katona, she surely can't be going bankrupt for a second time. 0845 And uh, good news about Lauren Pope. I'll tell you about her in a moment. It's LBC 97.3. It's 5.30. <laughs> 27 minutes to six. I only laughed uh, just briefly before the news with Sam Pittis because there was a story in the paper about poor little Lauren Poppy. This is the world's oldish gl- oldest glamour model. She's about 97, but uh, she's given the green light for the only way as Essex to film the removal of her dodgy breast implants. Oh, so classy, Lauren. Up to your usual standard there. <laughs> She's given the green light. Anything to stay on television. I tell you what, why don't you just have a sex change and let's have done with it? You know, make it more fun for all of us. Uh, Tom says the Bible's the world's biggest, world's biggest selling novel. I think you have to take... You, everybody's got their own interpretation, haven't they? Everybody has. Phil says Denise Welsh must be really hard up to do Big Brother. She's desperate for the attention, I'm afraid. She's a little bit needy. And Sarah says there's nothing more depressing than losing weight. Even, you know, telling you how great you're looking, you're craving chips and chocolate because you're so hungry all the time. And Lynn says, you're so right, Prince Philip is deliciously not PC. I know don't, nobody wants him to be PC, do they? He's allowed to say that. Why shouldn't people say it? We, we, we've, we've turned a little bit mamby-pamby in this country. You can't say that, can't say that. Why not? Say it, goodness sake. As long as it's true. You know, I mean, I do go up to people in the high street and I go, really, you should eat more at the salad bar. You know, I think that's necessary to tell them. You know, if somebody's wearing an inappropriate outfit, there's a, some pictures in the paper today of Colleen Rooney modelling. 
Well, Colleen Rooney doesn't look like a model, I'm afraid, either from the front or the back. And they've got a picture of her standing there, this short, dumpy little girl, modelling bikinis. Don't do it. You know, if she was in this street, I'd have to say to her, listen, you're very sweet, Popsikins. You've got a very funny little voice and a very funny little accent, but don't do not do modelling, OK? Even with the amount of makeup you've got troweled on from the back, don't look right. OK, just tell it. I'm just telling it the way it is. I'm not being rude, I'm just telling the truth. My mother always said, you know, if you've got nothing nice to say about somebody, pop it on a postcard. And so I do. I generally find out where they live. And I write on the postcard, don't go out wearing that outfit ever again. You look ridiculous. Gary, morning. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Oh, I think so. I don't know. It's still dark outside, so I'm just about getting there, I think. Well, well, it's it's a hard life, isn't it? Well, not really, no. I don't think so. You think, you no, think it's hard? Well, not really, no. Well, well, so well, it depends what you do, really, doesn't it? What do you do? Uh, I'm a, a, a medic with London Ambulance. Oh, thank you. Easy peasy. It is, yeah. Easy, but you just drive around. Sometimes you want to get for a cup of tea early, you put the light on, and then the siren, and and you've got bandages and sticking plasters and everything else. Must be fantastic. Gets us through the shops. Gets you through. To the shops quickly, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, Anyway, Blackpool. (laughs) Oh, God. Yes. Go on. You say it's abysmal. You say it's not a good place to go. Oh, it's a dump. It really is a dump. It's dreadful. Oh, let me ask you this. Mm. Where can you go in in anywhere in the world where you've got three peers... A tower that the French have copied, mm. trams, donkeys, horse and carts, nightclubs that are just as good as London, and you've got it all in one place. They might have a pier here, mm. they might have a tower there, but we've got it all in Blackpool, mate. Yes. Everything. Oh, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. You have got the piers, you have got the uh, the tower, or how much longer it stands, I've got no idea. It's it's the people. It isn't, it isn't the place, it's the people. Who's the people? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I... It's I, Londoners who need to get away from the dim and grismal life of, of drudgery of London. Well, the they trouble is, you see, I mean, they? you know, I have, to, I have to defend Londoners, because I'm not a Londoner, I, I work in London, but I would never choose, and I don't think I know many Londoners that would go, let's, let's go on holiday, let's go to Blackpool. Whereas lots of oh. people from Blackpool, see, you're actually in Romford, aren't you? Yeah, So that's yeah. roughly the same as Blackpool, isn't it, without, without the peers... It is, really. It's, it's not unsimilar. So you like <laughs> being in Romford. <laughs> well, yeah. But I thought, I thought I'd have to call and just say how well, good Blackpool is. What is and, that? and maybe, mm. maybe promote it for you people who never go north of the border. Oh, well, I'm not sure I can allow that. Do you work for the tourist people? Are, they, <laughs> are you being paid by them? Because, to be honest with you, it would be easier to try and sell Romford. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how difficult well, that is. Oh, yeah. Well, it was nice talking to you, and I just thought I'd do a little bit of early morning promotion well, for those who listen to you. Listen, show. Gary, it's fantastic that you've started on the medication a bit earlier than most people this morning and have found, found the effort to pick up the phone. So, Gary there, who comes from Blackpool, you notice, of course, he doesn't live in Blackpool anymore, but he's sort of selling it. I didn't know it had three piers. I do know it's got trams. I have been up, as they say, the Blackpool Tower. I love the ballroom. Because it's really, I mean, it really, it'll, it'll blow your socks off. It does look like being inside a wedding cake. But when you go up the tower, there's a lot of rust. OK, it is, I mean, it is, it's, it's obviously quite safe, otherwise it'll fall over when I went up there. And they've got a piece of glass at the top, which is about three inches thick, and you stand on it and you look straight down. And there, I told you, there was a girl there last time, and she was in tears, her boyfriend's trying to get her to stand on it, and she didn't want to do it and all the rest of it. But it, it, it is interesting, it's just the people. It, it is, it is, it is chavtastic up there. I mean, there is every low life from the Jeremy Kyle show all on one street. I mean, it is. You see more hooped earrings up there than you do in Romford Market. And that's saying something. I mean, I never understood why 
you do see girls with these big hoop earrings, and I suddenly realise it's either through their ears or through their nose, because there's just no other place to put these things. They're just enormous, and they, you can only buy big hooped earrings from markets. And only chavs go to markets, because they want to go and buy... And so that's why you go to markets, and there's people going around with staffs, you know, with Diamante collars, because they're quite camp dog staffs. And people sort of walk around, and the people who actually have staffs are fairly camp as well. And they sort of walk around with them. And so people buy all this stuff. It's like, whoever in their right mind, I don't want to be rude to people who wear those furry Ugg boots. You know, the ones that look like moon boots with fur... Who buys these? What sort of stupid person buys these kind of things and thinks that they look good in them? They really do. I mean, there was a lovely picture of Jordan, Katie Price, a short while ago. I say a lovely picture. I'm lying. It wasn't a lovely picture at all. But she's got such thin, spindly legs. And she was wearing these horrible moon boot type things. And I kept thinking, you really cheapen fashion, don't you? That's why she has to do glamour. Because glamour doesn't do fashion. You know, you, you either get glamour models or you get fashion models. You, you, don't, you don't get the two crossing over at all. And that's why most of the people like poor old Lauren Poppy haven't got any idea of how to dress because they spend most of their working life undressed. So they've got so, so, when, so when they go out, they just think they wear their nighties or something like that. It doesn't really work, actually, I'm afraid. Maria says, I'm sure the likes of Colleen Rooney, Alex Gerrard and the other wags turning up at Ascot in little more than a belt and six-inch heels hasn't helped. Despite spending a fortune on designer clothes and Jimmy Choo shoes, they still look cheap. Well, I mean, Alex Gerrard, because unfortunately for all these people, they've got money, but no fashion sense. And the people who work in these very expensive shops are not going to turn them away. So they're going to go, yes, you look lovely in that, Colleen. <coughs> Sorry. They always do that, don't they? They go, well, yes, you must buy that. That's £6,000. And so Colleen goes, oh, I think I'll wear this. She's got nowhere to wear it. Can't go down the local chippy wearing, you know, £300 pair of Jimmy Choo's. So she puts on flats and then people go, oh, she didn't do herself up, does she? And that, that's why. So you can have loads of money, but no fashion sense. And none of these people, Alex Gerrard, Colleen, and all, all the wags, Nicola McLean, she's the one with the ghastly voice. A little bit like sort of cheap foghorn. Doesn't work, actually. So they've got all this stuff, and they turn up wearing, you know, six-inch heels, and they stand there hoping to be photographed, but they all look so desperately uncomfortable because they're, they're out, of the, out of the comfort zone. Read the squatters. Let's collect. If that was me on Facebook, I'd be asking for people to uh, to enclose the house with supporters and then get them out. Yeah, I mean, I would I would be the same. I'm afraid. I mean, I, I know it's not PC, but to be honest with you, if I had a house and somebody moved in while I was in the process of moving furniture in or out, and they took over and changed the locks, I wouldn't like to be responsible for my actions. I would be calling on a bit of muscle to come in and get them out. I'm not I'm not putting it up with it at all. I'm afraid. Uh, Jim in Croydon, there's another place actually, uh, says great shows always. And I dropped four stones, says Neil, from a size 42 to a 32 in waist. As I was told, I have type 2 diabetes. I can now keep my sugar levels down by diet. Well, good for you. Good for you. It's not easy. It's not easy. We're all, we're all fighting the battle of the bulge, but I've been fighting it for, for donkey's years. I'm not huge. I'm not so big as some people I know, but, you know, I'm still carrying a bit more weight than I would like to. Lucy doesn't like Blackpool either. Went uh, last weekend to visit friends. Oh, God, you have friends in Blackpool. That's even worse. You actually know what people who live there... Well, keep that very quiet. Good grief. I mean, it, it's... The, the only thing you notice about Blackpool is, is the fact that it, it just emanates the word cheap. You know, you drive along the Golden Mile, which is about, you know, sort of the, the turgid half mile, I'm afraid. You've got the trams, which are quite pretty, and at night time, obviously people who live in, in Blackpool quite like things that light up you know, like bonfires and house fires and stuff like that. So they've, so they've got the trams that go up and down and the light. And it's all very pretty. It's just you don't want to be up there. 
You know, if, if they could tart the town up and get rid of half the people who go there, it could be quite attractive. Used to be one of those good towns years ago, didn't it? When people went to Blackpool and donkey rides. You know, there's somebody was selling donkey rides a minute ago on the programme, which is, which is great. You know, the donkeys aren't particularly happy and they're really stubborn and they thought, here we go, we're just going to walk up and down the beach a few times. And, um, and that's it. But that's, that's what you remember from your childhood. You know, in my day, it was kiss me quick hats and a stick of rock. And we were very happy with it. But I don't know whether or not anybody else listening could ever sell Blackpool, as well as it was sold a minute ago. I still don't want to go there. I have been, and I've seen it, and I don't want to go ever again. Thank you very much indeed. Somebody did phone me up from another radio station ages ago because I'd launched into this tirade, having come back from Blackpool, saying what a ghastly place it was, saying, would you like to come on and talk about Blackpool? I said, no, I I really don't want to give them any more publicity at all. But I'm more, more worried that Lucy has actually got friends I'm afraid. Friends who live in Blackpool. What sort of friends? What sort of friends? Uh, I haven't heard LBC, says Amy, since moving to Australia. And I'm sitting here now in Sydney, listening to the show and chuckling away. On a serious note, I had to come here to find a better way of life and a job to be able to live my life. I've no regrets and I find it sad that the UK seems to have got worse. Well, there's more people unemployed. More people unemployed, that's a fact. Uh, we have more unrest here now. I mean, I never thought, after the summer of the, uh, of the riots, I'd actually be sitting on a radio station talking about riots in our city. I really didn't. Never thought about things like that. Mark the bailiff's off out, so there's, as long as there's work for him, that's fine. And Mark Wahlberg, did you hear what he said? Mark Wahlberg was talking about the 9-11 terrorists, and the fact, he said, because there was a chance that he might have been on that plane, he said, if I was on that plane with my kids, it wouldn't have gone down like it did. There would have been a lot of blood in that first-class cabin, and then me saying, OK, we're going to land somewhere safely, don't worry. He's now had to apologise, uh, admitting his comments were ridiculous and irresponsible. I've never really liked it. These people who do these action films, don't they? They seriously believe that they are action characters, but and they get a bit carried away with the whole thing. Yes, I'd have done that. That that was fine. So in other words, if I'd been on the plane, I would have sorted out the terrorists. They were flying the thing. They were flying the thing. You know, I mean, he only played a boxer in, in the fighter. And he actually said he would have battled the terrorists. I think perhaps he needs to come back into the real world. And quite clearly at the moment, Mark Wahlberg, or Marky Mark, as he was, isn't in the real world at all. Which is a bit of a shame, because he wouldn't have battled terrorists because they would have shot him dead. Simple as that. They were determined to bring the plane down. No amount of, you know, some action hero sitting back in first class could have changed that. You know, the door to the cabin was locked. What, what did you think they were going to do? Blast their way through it? I don't know. Sometimes these poor Hollywood celebrities engage brain before opening mouth. Quarter to six down in the LBC newsroom, Sam Pittis. Thanks, Steve. Plans to bring in late night and weekend parking charges in... Morning, 11 minutes to six. I thought I'd read some stupid things in my time, but I found a fortune teller here called Jemima Packington. Now, I thought normally, you might have to help me out in this one, fortune tellers use crystal balls or packs of cards or packs of tarot cards. What do you think this woman uses? Asparagus. She uses a spa- she, she takes a bunch of asparagus and she throws it up in the air. She's quite clearly as mad as a broom. And then the way it lands determines on exactly what will happen in the future. Her predictions for 2012 include two royal pregnancies. That'll be difficult to predict, won't it? I could have done that without the asparagus, I'm afraid. And British glory at the London Olympics. But a dismal performance for the England football team at Euro 2012. You've done that all with asparagus. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I could have told you that with a box of matches, I'm afraid. Jemima, who comes from Bath, has made dozens of accurate forecasts, including the... Well, they say this now. There's no proof of this at all. But uh, predicting a second royal baby for Peter Phillips and his wife, Autumn. 
And, uh, and for this year's royal prediction, she explained, the spears fell in the shape of a crown. Two smaller spears were pointing towards the crown, indicating two visitors, therefore two... But she's quite mad, this woman. She's quite balmy. So bits of asparagus falling down determine... But uh, she says, I only do readings for individuals when they select the asparagus tips. So I was not able to read whether one of them would be Kate Middleton. That's right, love. And you can't do the lottery numbers either, can you? Have you been to one of these people? Do they normally... Is it, is it normally just general readings? That's what I think it is. Alfred, morning. Uh, good morning, Steve. Morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Oh, good. Uh, listen, I, I know exactly where you're coming from when you talk about Blackpool, but... Uh, if you just move a little, going a little south along the promenade into Lismore, Thames, oh, that, that's it is posh. A, it, it's a bit posh. I mean, yes. two, uh, there was uh, Les Dawson yes. lived there, and George Formby, to name but three. You yes, know. yes, and uh, it is a bit. It's a bit sniffy, mate. I wouldn't mind living there, but I know exactly <laughs> where you're coming from with the. Uh, with the, my daughter, our annual trip to Blackpool was to drive through the illuminations. It's a, it's a thing us northerners do, you know. Yeah. And because uh, we come from Southport, like. Oh, right. That, that Southport itself is a sort of small C conservative and big C. Uh, well, it was, you know, it's moved a bit more liberal now. Yeah. But, uh, why, why, uh, why was Lytham St Anne so, so popular with, with celebrities? What was the reason for that? Well, I think, uh, you know. It's 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 good and fresh on the west coast, and I mean, if you've been to Blackpool out of season in March, you know when mm. the blooming wind's blowing and the sea's belted over the promenade, yes. you know, uh, it's uh, it's quite enervating, you know. But I'll tell you what: in the old days, there used to be a zoo in uh, Blackpool Tower. My God, my mum and dad took me there. It was so bloody unpleasant, I'm <laughs> telling you. The, the animals were locked. You know, lions and bloody bears and everything. Yeah. It smelled, you know. But, well, there uh, used to be a very, very famous zoo and circus, I think, up in, up in Manchester at Bellevue. That was famous oh, for right, years. And well, I, I remember yeah. the, the Blackpool one, because I think that was linked to the circus, wasn't it, there? It was, yes, yeah. 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 But strangely, but, you should mention yeah. Lytham St Anne, because I watched the programme which Frank Skinner made about, uh, you know, with me little sticker Blackpool. Right? <laughs> right, yeah and, yeah. and it was really good, and he showed you the house, and, of course, Les Dawson's widow has just had to sell their house. Oh, right. It's just come on the market because she needs yeah. the money, so she's selling that. Well, but you're right, celebrities were... It, it, was a, it was a big thing to live in Lytham. Yeah. Well, uh, by the way, what did you think of Les Dawson? I, lo- I, l- I saw him getting out of a car once, going into a nightclub called Tramp, oh, right. and I was parked behind him, and he used to, he, he used to smoke like there was no oh, tomorrow, right. like a lot of people did. I thought he was great. I've got him on the Royal Variety Performance. I've got some, a very good friend of mine who, um, who does copies of programmes, and he's sent me the Royal Variety, and it's got I'd Les Dawson to- doing his piano oh, act. I'd love to see it. it. You know, he was a genius, really. Oh, I know. That, that out of tune <laughs> Yes, but in fact, actually difficult to play out of tune. Oh, yeah, it is. It's- I think you've got to be a good, good musician yes. to actually do that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I, I liked him. I always thought, you know, you'll not see the like of, of the Les Dawson's again. I don't think you will, no. They, there was no ego exist. involved in it, was there? No, really? it was just him doing what yeah, he did, he, and, he, and, and he did it really well. Alfred, thank you for that. I'm very grateful. So the, the, those great... You don't see people like Les Dawson anymore. You know, you turn on the television. Uh, somebody has said today in the paper, and it ties in with what Alfred was saying, that, uh, that the BBC have dumbed down now... Most of their programmes, their new ones, are attracting no audiences. What with David Jason? You know, if, if a programme about the stars 
in the sky and looking up to the heavens is getting a bigger audience than somebody established like David Jason. Somebody's making some very wrong decisions. And the, the BBC answer is, because they don't care, they can, they're going to get your money in any way. They can spend it whichever way they want. All this rubbish about, you know, it's your BBC. The heck it is. It's their BBC and that's where they'll do what they want. And, and they say, well, don't worry, the, these things take a while to bed in. Well, they shouldn't. They shouldn't take a while to bed in. If you've got an established actor like David Jason, it should work beautifully. You know, he should come on, the scripting should be fantastic, the, you know, the programme should have been rerun, so it's absolute perfection, but it just doesn't look right. I've watched it, and it just doesn't kind of gel for me. I don't know whether, it, as I said yesterday, he's probably getting a bit old now for playing these comedy characters, and if you look at The, uh, the Only Fools and Horses, that you, you can actually see him ageing. You can see when he starts dyeing his hair to make him look a bit like, you know, sort of Del Boy. And it just, you know, they, they were good, but they were well written. And it was a very, very good cast. They didn't introduce too many people for us. In, in The Bodyguard, I just think it's, it's sad. That, and, it, and it must be depressing for him as well to actually have to sort of, you know, go and, and do this stuff, knowing really that it's not as good as things he's actually done in the past. But that's, that, that's television for you. Loads of their, their programmes haven't done very well. Shame. David and Vid say, how could you eat 20 sprouts? I hate them. My first dog, Jodie, loved them, but he was an old English sheepdog, and on Christmas Day would eat the leftover sprouts, but the drive home was excruciating. We had to have all the car windows open. Oh, dear. It's a bit sad, isn't it, really? I don't know why I like sprouts. I think perhaps I'm a bit alone on this one. I, I get many texts and emails from people saying you don't really like sprouts. I go, of course I like sprouts. I, I liked them even as a kid, and, and yesterday I did eat at least 20 and and they were delicious, and I had them with the six sausages, and I'm in trouble for eating six sausages now, because apparently six is, like, too excessive. Apparently three is what you should... Two or three? Two or three? I mean, it's almost a snack, isn't it? Who on earth could eat just two or three? There are six in the pack, and I didn't want to put them back in the fridge again, so I just, just tipped them in and cooked them, you know. I grilled them, though, which I felt was a, a little bit better than doing them in any other way. But, I mean, that seems quite normal. So Somebody would say to me, you know, that's why you're fat, because you're eating too much food. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't think that's excessive, actually. Um, Steve, I thought I was the only one who doesn't get Russell Brown. Please tell me, what do women see him? I don't get it. Well, that's what they're asking in the paper today. They're saying, what is it about Russell Brand that women flocked him? I think it's because he's famous. I think it's because he's famous. It doesn't, I mean, if, if, if you're famous, it, it really doesn't take very much to pull anybody at all. It's, it's a very simple thing. It's because you're famous. I mean, if, if I wanted to. If I wanted, I could be a little bit of a Casanova kind of figure, you know, around this building. I could probably pull who I wanted, you know. But I, I don't. I'm that sort of person, you know. I sort of, I hold myself back in reserve and, uh, and, and, and don't bother with that kind of thing. A bit like my auntie Enid. Kevin and Stepney threw some Brussels sprouts in the air and I predict, he said, that night will follow day. Is it not day follows night? Especially at the time we're working. Uh, another one here, Mark in South East Seven. He says, very funny stuff today on the programme. And hilarious. I've never heard half of it. Sometimes it makes me laugh. I think I should rush home and sort of have a listen to this. Brian says, you're not overweight until a speaking weighing machine says one at a time when you step on it. Terry says, I could sell Blackpool. The Americans will buy anything. Well, they once bought Tower Bridge. Well, they bought London Bridge, didn't they? London Bridge is now, I think, in the desert somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it is. Steve in the Kingdom of Romford, (laughs) bless, says, I was shocked by the number of hooped earrings and staff dogs I saw walking around the streets of Twickenham last week. Outrageous. It's a lie, of course. We don't have any... there, there are guards. Guards who take away hooped earrings. If anybody's seen walking through Twickenham or, or Richmond, the guards take away 
the hooped earrings. If anybody turns up in Ugg boots, out straight away. We don't have any of that malarkey going on, ladies and gentlemen. Definitely not. 84850, uk. So we're talking as well about, um, about what people wear at Ascot, what is appropriate. The fashionistas are not. They've already banned miniskirts, which is just as well, because you don't want to see that kind of thing. You're going for horse racing. You're going to watch horse racing. You're not going there to look at some, you know, people wearing inappropriate clothing. I'm not saying you should cover up completely, but, I mean, you just have to wear something that looks very... You don't want to sort of turn up in Primark, do you? You know, I've got nothing against Primark. It's probably there at the right price for certain people who can't afford to go to proper shops. And you get loads of loads of clothes for £10. You know, you could practically buy all your winter wardrobes. In fact, you could spend less there than Colleen Rooney would spend on less than one pair of shoes. It's as simple as that. And you can get loads and loads of outfits. But it's not appropriate. Ascot's supposed to be a little bit posh. That's the whole idea. Because, you know, the Queen goes and it's Royal Ascot and they try... But all it is, it's just gambling for the masses. I've been there. I've been to Kempton Park on Boxing Day for the race meeting. It's full of chavs. It really, it's chav-tastic out there. It's just everybody, people wearing inappropriate. It's freezing cold. There's people wearing thin little dresses. And it's just, I didn't find it a very pleasant experience. I'm just not one of those sort of people who sort of gets into that. I could do it if I was sort of isolated from everybody. That would be fine. It's, it's the having to mix with people and the running backwards and forwards. It was a bit like My Fair Lady in the, uh, in the Ascot Gavotte and the, uh, and the racing there. But, of course, everybody in the Ascot Gavotte was very well dressed. Unfortunately, all the people who do go to Ascot, most of them, are very badly dressed. So perhaps the stewards are right to bring in the dress code. But the fashionistas, I thought they were OK. I didn't have any problem with those. But I think bra should be de rigueur. I think people should have to wear a bra for stuff like that. 0845 960973. So uh, now that we've condemned Blackpool to whatever, I have no idea. I wonder whether or not you've been there. And Prince Philip and some of his classic gaffes. Plus, why is it that the courts in this country are so lenient on those who commit sometimes the most atrocious crimes? As in the case of a sick thug celebrating outside court after he escaped jail for a brutal attack on an innocent victim he left for dead. More of that on the other side of the news at 6 on LBC 97.3 with Sam Pitches. Morning, five minutes past six. Nice to have you company. It's uh, Steve Allen's early breakfast. It's LBC 97.3. Don't forget, you get your free podcast a bit later on. I get a bit excited about telling you about a free podcast. I shouldn't really. But just because I've never actually said the word free and Steve Allen in the same sentence before now. So now you get free Steve Allen podcast. And somebody just said, are you a bit windy today because you've had sprouts? I eat sprouts most days. I'm a bit... <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't. Perhaps I shouldn't be eating sprouts. I keep thinking they're actually good for me. But I'm not, I'm not totally convinced they are. And then somebody said broccoli's better. And so perhaps I should mix sprouts and broccoli. But it was particularly nice yesterday with the six sausages. Nick Ferrari this morning. He'll be hosting a, an East-West debate over river fares. And asking that, that age-old question. Is it fair to pay to cross the river? Wouldn't you love it if it was free? But they have to, they're all private operators. Also, you can find out how the Met Police have wasted 35000 Actually, I thought it was more than that. Is this, the, is this the story that they're doing that the Met Police had how many calls to the speaking clock last year? Something like 150,000 calls to the speaking clock. And you think, well, they can't just look at their watch or look at their phone, which has got, you know, the, the, the time printed on it. All those calls, they, they say they are actually going to be sort of cutting back a little bit. Uh, Boris will consider charging to use his new tunnel. I suppose you'll have to do that. And catching up with breast cancer survivor Heather for the latest on her implants. Looking at the papers today, David Buick will be in. Um, plus, they're going to be taking all your calls and emails all to uh, 
to Nick Ferrari this morning, just after the news at 7. 110,000 calls to the speaking clock in the last two years. It's a ridiculous waste of money, because it costs money. Every time you, you phone up, that costs money. And so that's why they, they've wasted it. I wish they, they wouldn't waste money on things like that, and we'd have more police out on the streets. I'd be much happier if there were, were more police on the streets. Uh, this morning, apart from your texts and emails, uh, your phone calls on on Blackpool... I'm trying to actually sort of try... I'm not trying to sell Blackpool to you. I'm trying to st- make people stay away from it, to be honest with you, because it is so ghastly. It, it needs a little bit of tart-up. It's no good just painting the tower and saying, that's it, and it's all going to be wonderful. It's the people that go to Blackpool that ruin it for everybody else. Uh, plus, we're talking about the leniency of the courts in this country in the light of this story in the front of the mirror and the sun, and it features in all the other papers of a thug who celebrated outside court, managed to convince the judge that he was really remorseful, gets outside court and behaves like he's won the lottery... Uh, Daniel Schapowski got a suspended sentence and his pal Thomas Lane walked free. They battered Joseph O'Reilly senseless in a Manchester street. Joseph said afterwards, make my blood boil. I should imagine makes any decent person's blood boil in this country at the moment. Uh, and the judge allowed him to walk free. Small wonder we got Britain's soft justice. You could murder an entire school here. And they go, oh, it's a shame, isn't it? Probably something happened in your childhood. And the rest of us are going, no, they're just vile. Why can't we lock more people up? It would make it so much easier, wouldn't it? Uh, countdown, in an effort to try and win an audience, and it's not working, I'm afraid. I had to have somebody doing a, a rude word on it the other day. And uh, we're talking about the parking charges, which finally, finally, they have admitted that we were all right in London, and we don't want them. People want to come into town, they want to be able to park, they want to be able to go to their place of work, they want to come back to their car, get in it and drive home. They don't want to go and stand on a draughty, wet, windy, horrible railway station or stand there in the pouring rain waiting for a bus. If they're elderly, they don't want to do that. They don't want to have to sit there on public transport, which isn't the best at the moment. You know, you get on the bus sometimes, you look at some of the people around there and you think, there but for the grace of God. So if you're an elderly person, you want to get back in your car again. You want that security, don't you? You want that that way of, of getting yourself home. It seems perfectly reasonable. So finally they've seen sense, but if they'd asked us to start with, you know, it would be absolutely, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, 84850 uk. Uh, like you, I love Brussels, says Rob. Can't get enough of this. I know people can't understand. If you like Brussels sprouts, they think you're mad. He likes them with Dijon mustard. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure I can actually do anything with a with Dijon mustard. I'll have to think about that one. And uh, Paul in Manchester says, your caller beat me to it about Blackpool. As you may remember, I actually lived at Lytham St Anne's for a couple of years and my abiding memory, queuing on the chippy on a Friday night with Les Dawson when he wasn't working. Lovely bloke, fellow Mancunian. As you say, Blackpool, lovely people, ghastly. Oh, and he says, perusing through the TV listings for the weekend, as you're not on, I noticed your favourite psychic, Sally the Boar Morgan, is on TV doing a reading for Mary Byrne and a four-hour marathon, the true life story of Laura Ingalls of Little House on the Prairie. Who's Mary Byrne? From oh, from X Factor. Oh, never even heard of her. Oh, the big Irish girl. And you've got Sally Morgan. I tell you what, I'll do it for you now, Mary. You'll continue to be not talented. You'll continue to go nowhere and you end up back in the supermarket. All right, there you go. I've done it for you for free. You don't listen to that old, uh, that old little psychic Sally Morgan. Oh, dear. You know me and psychics. I get very angry about things like that, I'm afraid. Philip, good morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. I first went to Blackpool in the 60s. God. When they had two railway stations in the centre of the town. They still have. No, no, no. They, they got the, the one in the main one, but the other one is in the south now. Because you cannot go direct from London to Blackpool. No. You have to change. Yeah, change at Preston. I think they did have... They did have director links when the politicians went up there for their conferences. Why do, I mean, I, I couldn't understand that a major 
And it was major seaside town. You can't go direct to no, it. No, I mean, it's sort of... I, I saw some interesting shows up there. I, the one I always remember was uh, Norman Collier and Charlie Williams. Now, Charlie Williams was the black guy who took yeah. over from the, um, yeah. uh, the Golden Shot. Yeah, He was called right, everybody yeah. Flower. Yeah. He, they worked really well together, and I was surprised that they didn't, you know, appear more together. They sort of really worked as a team and were very good. Is he still I, around? Uh, I don't think so. Right. I think Norman Collier, possibly, but Charlie, Norman Collier, no. didn't he do a thing with a car window? Uh, he used to bring on a car door, and he'd wind down the window, and it thought... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, he used to do uh, chickens. That's so, right, yes. Norman Collier was the chicken man. Right. I saw all the comedians. When the comedians were put on, they had half on at the Palladium in London, and the other half were on at the North Pier. Yeah. And I went up and saw... I saw Tom O'Connor at the South Pier, Ooh. and he did his Name That Tune thing on stage. Yes, yes. And I went up on stage, and the roof leaked. Do you laugh? Tom O'Connor. But, I was with Tom O'Connor a short while ago. Oh, right. At the Rattlings. He, 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 I wanted him to take over on Countdown, because I thought he was yes. the best person. He would have been perfect. Yes. Abs- I mean, to do that quiz show Gambit, didn't he? No, no, Gambit was, uh, no, that wasn't Tom O'Connor. Gambit was, um... I think it was. No, it definitely wasn't. Oh, no, definitely oh. not. No, Gambit, oh. I remember. Ricky Ladders was, um... Forgotten his name now. <laughs> Don't have senior moments in the morning. Don't start me on this one in the morning, because I can't do it in the morning. <laughs> I forget things. So if anybody can help me out on that one. Who, who did Gambit? I can picture the guy now. But it definitely wasn't Tom O'Connor. Uh, Alan says, uh, and thank you for that, Philip. Uh, one of your presenters, Anthony Davis, is off with ear trouble. He's not well, is he, old Anthony Davis? He's only just come back from holiday. He had that ear trouble on holiday. And he said the good news was that uh, Duncan Barks talked about the Westminster parking charges when that news broke at about 10.20 last night. And a couple of weeks ago, you talked about a radio presenter that presented a programme from a tube train. But is it a wind-up as it was all done in the studio in Gough Square? Who was it? As Christo said, it was Clive Bull. No, it wasn't. It was Jeremy Beadle. No, uh, Clive didn't do wind-ups. It was Jeremy Beadle, and he did do it from the studio, and it was a tape loop. And, in fact, we, we clogged up, he clogged up Gough Square with people trying to keep up with him and catch him out. But, in fact, it was all done from the studio. Jeremy was a great, great wind-up person. He was really good. My, my favourite thing with Jeremy, I'm surprised nobody's picked up on it because it was such a good gag, was that he used to... He would see all his callers lined up, and it was a different system in those days, and he would, he would talk to, to, to one of the callers live on air, but pretending he was the next caller in line waiting to talk to Jeremy Beadle. And the person on the phone didn't know they were talking to Jeremy Beadle. They thought they were talking to the next caller, and he'd say, have you spoken to him before? And the person would go, no, I've never spoken. He'd go, I'm really nervous. I hope he doesn't take the mickey out of me and all this kind of stuff. And he'd have this long conversation with the person on the line who thought they were waiting to talk to Jeremy. It was so clever. He was so innovative. I don't care what anybody ever said. It, it, was, it was absolutely wonderful stuff. And I used to sit there, um, you know, in, in, in disbelief sometimes at the things that he could get away with. And the crowds of people who'd come and sit in the studio. It was Fred Dynage. Fred Dynage who did... Fred Dynage who did Gambit. Did I just say it wasn't? It was Fred Dynage. I couldn't remember his name. I didn't think his first name was Fred. He didn't look like a Fred. He was bald with glasses, wasn't he? Fred Dynage, who, who did uh, Gambit. Phew! Thank goodness for that. <laughs> never let it be said, Steve Allen, never get anything, anything wrong. I do remember, and I do remember Charlie Williams. He used to get, hello, me old flower. And uh, we used to watch that godless, ghastly golden shot programme, which I... Bernie the Bolt. I used to love that, in a strange way. 14 past six. LBC 97.3. One of the world's favourite actors, Sir Anthony Hopkins as you've never heard him before. 
Actor and now composer Sir Anthony Hopkins presents his first album called simply Composer. Anthony Hopkins' own music, including original music from films in which he starred and directed. Composer, the music of Sir Anthony Hopkins, out now at HMV. Hey there, business traveller. Why so frantic? 18 minutes past six. Lenny Bennett was Lucky Ladders, thank you. Fred Dynage did Gambit. Crosswitz was Tom O'Connor's show. Thank you very much indeed. And, uh, and uh, cro- Crosswitz Tom O'Connor, so thank you for that. Fred Dynage apparently is now on television. Meridian. He still looks the same, but with an extra chin, says Anne-Marie. Uh, and uh, Johnny Partney says Lenny Bennett presented Lucky Ladders, died in 2009. Yes, he did, didn't he? I remember... I remember that. We, we seem to lose a lot of those those great quizzes in this country. Somebody always said to me once that, you know, you can put people doing a quiz. They've got Matt Allwright doing a quiz at the moment. Totally wrong. Totally wrong. These people should never be allowed anywhere near... But Matt Allwright was on... He's on the right stuff and a few things. The most complained about programme on television. Because they make so many gaffes on there. It's a ghastly show. You know, Matthew I love to pieces. But they put low lives like Sally Burko on and... Matt Allwright and everything else, and so they've given Matt Allwright this show. He does, I think, Rogue Traders for the BBC, a more dreary piece of television you'd be hard-pushed to find, as they turn it into its own programme, but I'm afraid it's not really up to it. What a waste of money. Two people presenting a five-minute piece. Get rid of them. And, uh, and he's now doing this quiz show, and it's just not right. There are certain people, to present a quiz show, you've got to be so in tune. That's why, no matter how old Bruce Forsyth will ever become, he was the best person for doing quiz shows, because he knew how to do it. He'd had a training grant. You can't just stick somebody in a suit and go, oh, right, you're now a quiz show host, because they just don't do it. And also, I think we're a bit quizzed out in this country. If they're facing out Anne Robinson, and God knows, not before time, you know, to get rid of that. It's interesting when they have a sort of a so-called celebrity one, but... But the rest of them aren't very good. I know they're always looking for a new format, but it's the simple ones. Can you answer some questions? The, the simplicity of, of Chris Tarrant's I'm a Millionaire, you know, is, is just brilliant. It was like Trivial Pursuit. You know, nobody, who'd have ever thought that the people who invented Trivial Pursuit, putting questions on cards and making up some kind of board game that goes round it, would actually turn into a multi-million pound spinner around the world? Absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. But we do like quizzes, and I used to like Lucky Ladders, and, and I quite like... I mean, I actually like all, all sorts of things, actually, on the telly. But the simpler ones, I like Bruce Forsyth with Play Your Cards Right. To a certain extent, I quite like that programme where they all had to play games and do things. And it was uh, Leslie Crowther. Play your, was that, that wasn't Play Your Cards Right. I would say, come on down, he used to go. What was that programme? No, 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 definitely wasn't Michael Barrymore. He, he did do a number of quizzes. But the, uh, the Leslie Crowther one, the come on down thing, you know, Muriel Parker, come on down. Price is right. And, uh, and they say, oh, and today's price, you know, we're looking for the price on this. And you'd look at all this stuff, and all these people lived in a council house. You think, what are you going to do with a speedboat? You know, not much use to you at all, is it? That we used to watch them, and I, I, I quite like them. So when I see a new one, I think, no, don't do it. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of money. There's the same people who turn up, professional quizzers. They just turn up for these for these television shows. And I'd, Matt, all right, not... Not re- He's not old enough to present a quiz show. It takes ages and ages, I'm afraid. Uh, Diana says, I guess the high usage of the speaking clock by the police is to blot out the previous number dialed. Nobody would then know they'd been making private calls. Oh, I never thought about that. It's a well-known trick for people ringing those that they shouldn't be. So the last number dialed is recorded as the clock. Well, that's very sneaky. Do you know, you're probably right, actually. You're probably right. The lottery show, Steve, with Nick Knowles. Give me strength. Yes, he's, I mean, Nick's very sweet. I worked with Nick for, for a while. But 
not a quiz show host. Not not that sort of person. It's it's just, you've you've got to have some sort of credibility, and he, he's known for doing DIY shows. If you're known for doing a particular show, though, don't just then think that you can be either a stand-up comedian or you can be somebody who presents quizzes, because you can't. You absolutely can't. It doesn't work, and that's why they don't rate on the television. Uh, Fred Dynage, this is on Gambit, the original host, 75 to 83. Tom O'Connor, 84 to 85. And Gary Thompson, 95. Who the dickens is Gary Thompson? Never even heard of Gary Thompson. Small wonder the programme sunk without trace. So now you know. Now you know. Uh, let's have a quick look, shall we, at the at the front page. This is what you're waking up to this morning, in case you're one of those people who's just sort of gone, what time is it? It's 22 minutes past six. Good grief, is it really? Yes, it is, as we celebrate Prince Philip's birthday with a whole, a whole raft of gaffes, 90 of them, to celebrate his, uh, his 90 years. Uh, on the new £18 million British Embassy in Berlin in 2000, Prince Philip allegedly said it's a vast waste of space. To a fashion writer in 1993, you're not wearing mink knickers, are you? Which is just, you can imagine him saying that for some reason. At City Hall in 2002, he said, if we could just stop the tourism, we could stop the congestion. Which he's probably right about, actually. And um, uh, on, on uh, another one here, to Elton John on his gold Aston Martin in 2001. Oh, it's you that owns that ghastly car. <laughs> to a wheelchair-bound nursing home resident in 2002, he said, do people trip over you? You just have to laugh at him because he's he's so sort of delightfully non-PC. And why why should he? Why should he ever worry about it? Goodness sake, he's 90. At 90, you know, you should be entitled to do just about anything you want to. Uh, Paul says, I told you about Gambit. Remember that the announcer on the show described the prizes was none other than the late, great John Benson, who was not only a TV announcer, but best remembered for his, and now from Norwich, it's the quiz of the week when announcing the sale of the century with Nicholas Parsons, very much the Peter Dixon of his day and much missed. Yes, and Nicholas Parsons used to say, and what do we tempt them with now, John Benson? And John would go, three pounds gets you this this washing machine, whatever it happens to be. <laughs> I finally persuaded another one of those um, those laundrettes in Twickenham to do my washing, because some, sometimes my shirts are coming back not, not as good as they, they could be. And if you're paying a bit of money for them, I like them to look their very best. So I persuaded Thomas who has Mel's, the dry cleaners, to start washing shirts. He does them for a few other people. So I took 13 in yesterday, and he went, 13? I wish I'd never said how many there were in there. I should have just said, oh, there's a few in there. Yeah, it'll keep, keep you busy for a bit. He said, I'll, I'll have them done by Saturday. I thought, no, that's what I call service. Local shops for local people. Metro this morning, what are they running with? Oh, they're rupi- uh, running with a girl model on the front page. She's got a very famous, uh, a very famous um, mother... I won't tell you who she is. You can have a look at the picture. But uh, this this little girl modelling on the front page, you won't believe it when you look at the picture on the front of the Metro and inside some of the other places, some of the other papers, she's ten. She's ten, which is absolutely unbelievable. Her, her mum is... Not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. You can actually go out and, and have a look yourself and, and you'll go, blimey, ten years old. Small wonder. And she's got... She's wearing full full makeup and... I mean, well, you just wouldn't know she was ten. I don't know what... I don't think ten-year-olds look like ten-year-olds anymore now. They look like 25-year-olds. Oh, good Lord. Head of a man has been discovered by the Hollywood sign in Los Angeles. Crikey. How dreadful. Dreadful. Uh, James Darcy is 36. He appeared, of course, at Nickel- in Nicholas Nickleby. He starred in The Secret Diary of a Call Girl and he plays Edward VIII in Madonna's film W.E. I'm going to be talking to uh, to James... 
You very kindly agreed to come in at 8.30 this morning, which is absolutely phenomenally early, as far as I'm concerned, for an in-conversation. But I watched Madonna's film, W.E., the other day, and uh, it's, it's very interesting. And what he says about being an actor is very interesting. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing what he's like. He used to work in, in McDonald's, but he's worked for Madonna, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he thinks about working with Madonna and, um, and, and the worst job he's ever had. But the film is, is fascinating, because I know quite a bit about Wallace Simpson and Edward VIII, and it was, as they say, a love story. And uh, it's very well shot. I want to know where it's all shot, so I'll, I'll find out all the answers for you. And, uh, and we'll have a chat to him uh, for next week. This week on In Conversation, it's Jeremy Hardy, the comedian. And you've got Tyne Daly as well. Lovely Tyne Daly from Cagney and Lacey. She's in town doing a show about Maria Callas called Masterclass at the Vaudeville Theatre. Uh, don't forget as well, we'll have uh, all the latest tittle-tattle and stuff like that on the free podcast, which is available daily on this programme. Thousands of you download it. I'm very grateful because it doesn't cost a penny piece and it's easy to do. If you've got a computer, it's very simple. You don't have to... It's not, it's not complicated. I've never downloaded it because I don't understand anything about downloading. So I'm happily sort of preaching to the converted because 99% of you know exactly how it works. If you have problems, there's a, there's a help page as well. But you just go to lbc.co.uk and you can find all the details on there. So let's, let's finally have a look at the, at the, uh, the front pages. Uh, strangely enough, actually, um, uh, Mary says, My poor old 92-year-old mum rang up a £200 bill on the speaking clock because her sight is weak. She thought it was a free number. Family feuds. Family feuds. What the dickens is that? I've never even heard of family feuds. Pointless with Alexander Armstrong is good. And, uh, and that's, about, that's about it, I'm afraid. Uh, some this morning, Natasha Giggs romping with somebody else, lurching from one tacky disaster to another. The face of soft justice in this country. And that's the, uh, the young man uh, who kicked a good Samaritan unconscious in the face and, uh, and really has walked free from court, which is ridiculous. The Daily Mail... I've got Strip Fred the Shred of Tainted Knighthood. And they've, they've got a list of people who've been given awards before. And then we've, we've taken them away from them. People like uh, Prince Nassim. He had a driving conviction. Uh, Jane Else, guilty of misconduct. And surprisingly, Robert Mugabe, a tyrannical regime. He actually had a knighthood at one point. Can't believe it, can you? Uh, Independent this morning. They've got... Uh, Lisa Byrne, the editor of OK Magazine, among the celebrity magazine bosses who testified at the Leveson Inquiry the other day. Fury over the bumper Goldman bonuses. That's also on the, uh, on the Independent. And very quickly, the Times this morning are talking about the new Falklands alert. Tension growing as the 30th anniversary of the conflict nears. I'm back with you tomorrow morning at four. Don't forget to download the programme a little bit later on. Have a lovely day. Next up, the morning news with Susan Bookbinder. Rolex, Patek, Car, 